trying to get this stupid. Get on my this Zoom. I hate Zoom. I hate it. I can't stand it. I know. I, I've I've had issues myself, man. No worries. No worries. You guys just take your time and do your thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's crazy. We could send a rocket up into space, come back and land, but we can't do a virtual, you know, uh, podcast without some delay or some audio issue or something, you know? I, I hear you, man. I can barely do it right with my clients, so I feel your pain. Man. But so far, it uh, looks, like uh, looks like we're pretty good, so it's nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you, Bill. Thank you for coming on, and wow. What a story. You know, when I got, you know, I saw you on Instagram, YouTube and everything else, but where you came from and then got to it is, is really admirable. Really. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, I've always considered myself just like kind of as compared to like boss Rutan and, you know, some of the other guests you've had on, I'm like, you know, I just hope I'm not too boring for you, your audience, but, um, I'm here and I'm happy to answer all your questions. Sure. You know what blew my mind? I saw that you were born in Kentucky. And I was like, if I was a betting man and I don't bet, I would never have bet Kentucky. And then he moved to Hawaii at three. Who would, right? Yeah. I, I know. Yeah. My dad was, uh, story behind that is I have an older brother as well as John. Uh, and yeah, we were both born in Kentucky. My dad was just uh, finishing up. He, uh, this was, uh, I guess, during Vietnam and he was in the service. Uh, uh, he's an ophthalmologist, so he was finishing up some schooling out there that the the army sent him to. And fortunately, I guess the way things worked out is his time with the military ended like uh, two weeks before they shipped the scope or the the Honolulu division, uh, the Hawaii division off to Vietnam. So yeah, they they paid for all his training, and then when it was actually time to go to war, they kicked him out. So <laughs> I guess I yeah. What are you going to do, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so they moved me back to, to Hawaii or to Honolulu, I think when I was about three. So I don't really remember much of Kentucky at all. Um, I don't think there's too much to remember there unless you're, like, downtown in the city, maybe. <laughs> right. You know, because, yeah, I did, um, when I was living in Los Angeles in the 90s, on my 30th birthday, I met my folks back uh, in Kentucky just to, to see where I was born. And, yeah, it was a cool place, you know. Um, yeah, I, I'm, but I'll, I'll, I'm still glad I grew up in Hawaii. <laughs> and then one of the things that, that, that got you motivated into this, was it called uh, Kakata? It was, you know, like a fighter with real-life people. Yeah. Yeah, okay, Kaido was, I guess, before they had, like, anime, um, it was a show that was on every Saturday, uh, as a Japanese program, but it was, it was, it's a fun, you can see it on YouTube, it's um, actors wearing these kind of anime-looking costumes, uh, Kaido was like this robot guy, and it was sort of like the Japanese version of the Hulk, like, he was this meek, really kind of gentle Japanese guy that had a guitar, just carried a guitar on his back everywhere he went. Yet, no matter where he went, there was always some monster bad guy that would just start attacking people for no reason. And in order to turn into Kikaida, he would have to actually play the guitar. Uh, so in the middle of the monster, like just killing women and, and people and everything, Kikaida would all of a sudden end up on some 
building playing the guitar. And as he played the guitar, then he'd go change, switch on one, two, three, and then boom, this robot guy would appear. Now this guy knows karate and he could kick ass on, you know, and that was in kindergarten. Um, now we took that, that show so seriously back then, because as a kindergartner, Kikaido was God. And then, so in playground, we would, you know, do karate and just beat each other up. But, um, that was my initial inspiration for everything I do now is, of all things, that crazy show Kikaida. <laughs> if anyone wants to Google it, it's spelled K-I-K-A-I-D-A, Kikaida. And it's a really funny show to watch now. But That's so interesting. I really was. And then you were a big uh, Bruce Lee fan. And I'm so mad I missed that time period because all I can watch is, you know, little clips of Bruce Lee. So having been able to live when he was around... Like, how big was Bruce Lee? Like, you know, how big of a figure was he? Everybody of my generation, as I was writing my little, my bio for, um, for Tony, I was thinking, you know what? I feel like I'm writing every guy in my age category who has gotten into fitness or martial arts. We all start sounding the same exact way. Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee. But honest to God, it was. I saw him, my first Bruce Lee movie, I think I was eight or nine years old, uh, Game of Death and Enter the Dragon. And I was just, there was one scene, I forget, or he had nunchaku. I've never seen nunchaku. And um, a bunch of guys were about, re about ready to move in on him. And he, I guess he tore his shirt off or his shirt got torn in the fight. So he just ripped it off completely. And I've never seen anybody that was, I mean, he wasn't a big man. Apparently he was maybe five, seven, 140 pounds, but just fucking I, shredded. I had never seen it shredded and, and just his physical presence. Uh, you could weigh 240 and you just would know that's not sewing up with, you know, I was like, yeah. Oh. And then he started moving those nunchaku all over just ta -ta, ta -ta. and this all these striations and just stuff and sweat and veins. And I was like, me like he, I was like, <laughs> that, that just, that, that had a very deep and visceral effect on my forever. After that, I was like, that is, that is, that's the way to be. That's the way to be. And I started doing push-ups, and I found a, a, a length of just chain that we had in our garage. And that was my nunchaku. Um, and I would just hit myself over. Um, but yeah, I started doing, because I've seen him doing these finger push-ups. I don't know how he did that. Even now today, I don't know how he did that shit. Oh, forget it. I, I don't know. but uh, and, and you know what's really weird, Bill, is back then there wasn't like CGI and, and all these ways to, you know, you know like a stuntman or, or to make it look, you know, virtually. It looks like it's Brad Pitt doing it, but it's really not Brad Pitt. No, that was Bruce Lee doing that shit with his fingers, man. <laughs> back in, this was probably mid-70s. Back in that day, the best they did was speed things up or slow things down. That was about it. Yeah. Um, and, and I remember there was a debate back then a lot, like, you know, on whether a lot of the scenes in the Bruce Lee movies were sped up, but whether or not they were, I always wanted to believe that they weren't because I had seen him in real life demonstration and that guy was fast. So if they did speed it up, I didn't care because it made for a great experience for me watching the movie. I just, okay, speed it up. Fine. I just care. 
He was still fast as hell. And, and he still did it. Even if they sped it up, it's not like he didn't do it on his fingers, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, but I heard he was tons of people, real life people. Later on, uh, much later in my early 20s, when I moved to Los Angeles, I ended up uh, actually working out. It was called the Inosanto Academy. And uh, Dan Inosanto was his first American um, uh, protege. Uh, yeah, his first student uh, that was American. And so that uh, just being able to work out in that academy, so I was no cool. good. I got ass beat every single day and I never... But it was just such an honor to just step foot in there. Hell and, yeah. In that, that, that place, yeah. So, um, yeah, even well into my 20s, I was still chasing Bruce <laughs> Lee. Uh, probably never stopped, you know, because, yeah. It was Here you amazing. are. Um, yeah. Here you are pretty much doing what Bruce Lee did, just in a different way, you know. Right. And that's what got me into doing push-ups. And and, uh, and uh, remember, uh, my, my parents thought, oh, this kid likes to do this stuff so they bought me in, in the 70s the only thing the, the only weights they had back then were these plastic cement filled dumbbells wow. that if you put them down or you drop them the, literally the cement and would break and so you eventually everybody that had these if you're of my generation you know these cheesy ass weights they also had weight plates and they were literally like imagine filling a really cheap Tupperware, filling it with concrete and then dropping it by accident. Oh boy. And having all this concrete rolling around in there. But Hey, that's, that was all we had back then. We literally didn't have metal weight plates until like the early eighties, but it's kind of a, yeah. Hey, it didn't matter. I, I still got plenty out of those. little. Yeah. You, you always find a way. When you were growing up, where do you think, you know, your, your, your doctor's at the top of, or your father's at the top of his game, you know, as a doctor, where did the insecurity and, and all that come from early on? You know, um, I've had a lot of opportunity to examine that. And, you know, I, I honest to God, I think, you know, I, when I listen to some of your other guests and I listen to other people on podcasts or movie stars and uh, rock uh, music artists and people that have these a common thing amongst them, in, in Navy SEALs and all great people, the, the common thread that I seem to notice is they all came from a place of rather extreme adversity. You know, they all came from hard backgrounds, poverty and war-torn strife and things like that. My problem, I think, was the complete opposite. I came from a very comfortable I mean, my neighborhood, I mean, Hawaii is a very beautiful place. It's very nice. But the neighborhood, I, I grew up in an, uh, an area called Kahala. And anyone from Hawaii or that knows Hawaii knows that Kahala is a very, it's a very upscale community. And the neighborhood I grew up in was considered upscale within Kahala. I mean, there was a private tennis court that literally had a sign up until recently, that sign was taken down, but the signs would literally say members only on the tennis court. I mean, I guess that's not very uh, PC or woke right now or anymore, but that was the kind of place I grew up in. And I went to a, a very, uh, I went to a school that uh, Barack Obama went to. It's called Punahou School. Yeah, I saw that. Congratulations. Uh, yeah. What was that school well, like? Um, and it was to this day it's considered a, a premier school not just in hawaii it still is ranked as one of the best private schools on the west coast 
Um, and it produced every year, many of their graduates go on to the Ivy leagues. It's a, it's a, it's a very good school, but it wasn't good for me in that, um, number one, I was, a, I'll be honest. I was, I guess I, 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 that word affluenza did not exist when I was this age, but clearly I suffered from that. I didn't appreciate anything. My parents were, they were the best people they provided so lavishly for me yet they did i mean they didn't spoil me it wasn't like they were giving me all these things that i didn't ask for um but they took really good care of me and i didn't appreciate you know this school i i got in at kindergarten i don't even remember it's a hard school to get into um especially now it's much more competitive than when i was going um i didn't remember getting in there so i just to me it was just all schools were like punahou and um, I didn't realize the caliber of teachers that I was privileged to have had at the time. Yeah. So I was very irreverent. And I wasn't, um, uh, I was a punk in that, you know, I was always acting up and joking and kind of disrupting class, but I never was like a bully or, or a, uh, you know, I would never threaten teachers and hurt my classmates. I was just a dummy and I would just run around just entertaining people because to me, life was just a joke. I was like, uh, yeah, I, nobody in my family struggled. My uncles, my aunties, everybody just, we just lived in this seemingly perfect world. I, and I just assumed the rest of the world was like that. You know, I, I, I guess uh, the, a comparison would be the story I think of Buddha. Yeah. He grew up within the walls of this place and he had no idea that the rest of the world, you know, outside the walls of his compound were completely like, different and he's like wow you know this is a total yeah. culture change like what do i do how do i fit in you know and then like you were saying you were yeah. making jokes and doing little things maybe you were doing that subconsciously to fit in you know just because you know you kind of it sounds like good the opposite effect of others and we see with like bieber you know britney spears uh you know the these celebrities even you know they 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 get star famous so young and they never have a childhood. And then that, you know, a lot of times it just messes them up because they never had a childhood. And then when they get older and they're 18 and they're around the wrong crowd because, you know, everybody's around you because you're Bieber or you're whoever. And then, you know, how can you blame the guy? It doesn't mean he had bad parents. It's just he hit the, the guy could sing, you know, no childhood. And then, yeah. so I could see how that would happen with you because, you know, you're in a, a well, you know, you, you grew up well, your parents loved you to death. You know, you had to work for what you got, but it was there if you worked for it. Then you get out and you see this other part of life and you're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Monster Energy. Tear into a can of the meanest energy drink on the planet. Monster Energy. It's the ideal combo of the right ingredients in the right proportion to deliver a big bad buzz that only Monster can. Monster packs a powerful punch, has a smooth, easy drinking flavor. Athletes, musicians, co-eds, road warriors, metalheads, geeks, hipsters, and bikers dig it. You will too. Monster Energy is more than just the green OG. Monster has Monster Ultra, Juice Monster, Monster Hydro, Rehab Monster, Dragon Tea, Monster Max, Muscle Monster, and many more. Buy on Amazon, buy on Walmart, or go to monsterenergy.com and believe me, you'll find a place. Unleash the beast, Monster Energy. 
This episode is brought to you by Let's Get Checked. Are you the man your father was? Recent studies have shown that men's testosterone levels have dropped substantially since the 1980s at about an average of 1% per year. Think about how old your father was when he was born. For example, if he was 30, your testosterone levels could be 30% lower than his. Low testosterone levels can have all type of health effects on men. It can affect your mood, sex drive, memory, muscle mass loss, you name it. And yes, low testosterone is more common the older you get, but it can affect men at any age. So let's talk about today's sponsor, Let's Get Checked. You can order a testing kit that will be delivered to you in a discreet packaging with next day delivery. Once your sample arrives in the laboratory, confidential results will be available from your secure online account within two to five days. So... If you want to test your hormone levels without having to leave your home, visit trylgc.com backslash mscsmedia and get 25% off your test using the code mscsmedia. The link is in the description at the top. Yeah, well, see, my, this, I think in the bio that I sent, you know, this, I didn't know it at the time that it was low self-esteem and deep insecurity. Uh, and I, I'm going to go back to your question, like, where did that come from? Now that I've had, you know, I have two children of my own. I have an 18-year-old and I have a nine-year-old. And um, they have, they did not grow up the way I did because I did not, I do not, did not have the earning power that my dad and my mom had. And I didn't, was not able to provide for them close to what my parents provided for me. Um, but going back to when I was a child, because my, and my parents were very understanding of me. And I had, I, I, I believe to this day, an undiagnosed, some kind of, you know, um, spectrum disorders, at least ADD and, and maybe Asperger's or something, because I would lose my shit really easily. Um, I, as a kid, as a young kid, I would go terrible temper tantrums so by the time i was just young like eight nine years old my parents understandably were a little freaked out by me so anything that would upset me they would pull me from um i saw i, I like i literally could strike i i'm not kidding i would strike out at t-ball you know you put yeah ball, you put the ball the thing. <laughs> yeah not only would i strike out the t would just be I'm messed up <laughs> from me hitting the, I, okay so and as soon as things got kind of a little tricky or a little difficult for me I guess to keep me from just in a, in a way to protect me yeah. they would allow or allow me to quit and what I learned now knowing what I know about having my own kids and watching the other people that I god how's that why is that guy that is I was never subjected to adversity on a level where I had to overcome it. And I believe a lot of one's self-concept and the value that they, they hold for themselves and the trust that they have in themselves is by having to walk through the fire. And I never, ever, I, did, I went for decades for, uh, without that. I, it wasn't until I was probably in my 30s that I literally had to start testing myself and putting myself in scary situations and things that I thought were because, um, yeah, but when you go so long, uh, without really having building the confidence that you can do anything. So I was a bad student. 
and, and by the time I got into high school, I was literally moved to another school for kids who were like me, who came from affluent families who were kind of fuck ups in high school. Um, and that was a much easier school. And, but at, at the same time, it was a good move overall for, the, for me to go there. Uh, and we can talk about it later. But I, every time I hit some kind of a barrier of challenge, that could have been an opportunity for me to test myself and then gain trust in my ability to overcome that. I was never really, it never progressed that. I don't want to blame my parents or anybody else by saying that I wasn't allowed to, but um, for reasons I understand now as a parent myself, I was pulled from those things. And when you do that enough, or when that happens enough to a person, the only default that the only remaining the only thing that remains is this self. You don't have a sense of yourself or what you are and what you're made of. And um, after enough years of that, you just start spiraling. So by the time I was uh, in the 12, 13, 14, I was really, um, yeah, I was, a, I was a handful. So and, and you know what? Like you said with your parents, your parents were doing the right thing. You know, their, their parents in the 70s and 80s, nobody knew what ADHD was or all this other stuff. So they're just trying to protect you. You know, they're trying to protect their bill. Like, if he's going to go snap, oh, you know, we, we don't want to get him in trouble. Let's, you know, we've worked so hard to get where we're at. This is our son. Let's protect him. But, you know, back then, people didn't know what things were or if they were anything or whatever, you know. They, yeah, I, and I tell them, you know, because um, my mom, she passed a few years ago. I'm sorry to hear that. I lost mine too, man. I was the worst. How about that one, huh? Yeah. <clears throat> Nothing killed me more than that. Know, it was, you know, it's, it's your mom, right? It's your so, mom. <laughs> yeah, and my mom, she loved me like me too. Uh, so much. And, and I know later on, because everything I'm telling you, we've had discussions years ago, well before she passed about this and my mom and dad, I know they felt kind of bad about this, but I said, no, you guys, you didn't have the internet the way we have yeah. now. All these spectrum things that now everyone, there's labels for everything and there's drugs and solutions and Fuck. strategies for dealing with it. And allowances are made in school for if you're on this level, a part of the spectrum, none of that in the seventies. And it was actually considered shameful and it was a stigma to say, and back then they didn't even call it ADHD or ADD, they called it hyperkinesis wow so and so if, so basically i would be labeled as a hyperkinetic child and i mean that's kind of i mean if you think of the label i kind of want that name off the wall. it sounds like a good name though like, like a really smart scientist right? hyperkinetic i mean yeah to me that's a i'll take it honestly i'd rather be called hyperkinetic i'd rather be called hyperkinetic than adhd or hell yeah but and, and and you know i still think i haven't i still think it's probably un undiagnosed because I haven't received much therapy in my life, if, if any, but I consider that um, literally, I do not consider AD, we're just going to digress for a moment. I, ADHD or ADD, whatever I have or what I, to me, I, I feel like it keeps me young because all my so-called normal friends that didn't have these problems that I had when in grade school and in high school, a lot of them now at my age, they are tired. Okay. They're like, they're tired. Me, I feel like, literally, I feel like I don't look it, but I kind of feel, and you know, maybe, I don't know if this is good or bad, I still think kind of the way I did when I was in high school and in my 20s. I don't really feel that much different mentally or 
Me neither. I feel like having. Yeah, I'm 40. What's cool is as I get. Okay. I feel, and I feel like I don't feel any different. You know, people will say, you know, whatever. I don't, and I, you know, I drug myself through shit too, just like you, believe me. Uh-huh. And I don't feel any different. I feel like I did when I was 18. Cool. And I, but I, but you know, like you, I always was careful about <clears throat> because uh, my family's from Italy. So everything was fresh growing up. There was no like, go to the grocery store. Everything was grown out back. You know, it was all, you know, from the ground. Yeah. So I ate real healthy. So maybe that's why. I don't know. Well, cool. So I'm sorry. Did you grow up? Uh, you grew up in, in Italy. I was born in Italy. And then when I was two, we came over here. So I don't even remember. I just remember ending up in Pennsylvania and seeing Amish people. Oh, okay. So I'm so when you say over here, where, where, where did you guys from? Italy? Oh, yeah, I went from uh, Messina, Italy, uh, and then we came over, and then we went to uh, Lebanon, Pennsylvania, and then later on in life to uh, South Philadelphia. Oh, okay. My my daughter's in uh, Philly. She's uh, she's at Wharton. Oh, is she? So. Uh, oh, great. Yeah, yeah. She's a uh, yeah. She just started her first year. Uh, we just sent her off a few months ago. She'll be coming home this Wednesday for Christmas. Oh, so but, cool. She's getting to know. She's getting to know Philly really well. Tell her to go to Lorenzo's Pizza on South Street. It's the best pizza in the planet. Lorenzo's Pizza. Lorenzo's Pizza on South Street. I'm telling you, it is the best, the best, the best pizza that there is. Forget about it. Lorenzo's. Okay, so I'm just gonna make a quick note. Yeah, you got to do it for the kid, buddy. I just had one, and then I had seen that um, about getting uh, addicted to weed. So, do you think you can get addicted to weed? And if you do, when you smoked weed then, how did it make you feel? Like, how, when you smoke weed, how do you feel? Because maybe, you know, it affects you different than other people, or you know, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Um, you know, um, did you happen to hear my interview or some of it on the Mark Bell podcast? Yeah, I did. A little bit? Okay. Because towards the at, the, at the very end, we were on for three and a half hours, and at the end of that i didn't even know it was still rolling they asked that question i was like you know what like you just did you guys should have asked at the beginning when we have more time <laughs> but no i'm not gonna take up all your whole time but my thing see weed my experience with weed was it was a huge it had a more of an effect on my life going forward than even bruce lee did um because up until i experienced I first, the first time I ever smoked weed, I was actually on an outward bound program. You know, in the 80s, it was real popular to send your kids to some, either Utah or in my case, the big island of Hawaii, which is where the Mauna Loa volcano is erupting. Well, I think it just stopped. But um, there's several islands in Hawaii. There's eight primary islands. I live on Oahu. But uh, when I was 15, I was enough of a, psycho that my parents sent me to this outward brown outward bound program on the big island where you live with these other delinquents for <laughs> the 12 other people or, and when i say delinquents these were the best guys i mean yeah I, I i look back on that they were so cool but um you know you're supposed to go to this thing to kind of find yourself and challenge you know like this adversity thing i was talking about and it was adverse <laughs> um, and you know they, they 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 shake you down you know they search every little nook and cranny and before they 
before you get in that van and they start taking you to these various, like you go to the desert for a few days, you go to the forest and, and you're, they just want you to suffer a little bit in all these different places. Um, but some these kids are resourceful. One of these guys was able to smuggle in a few joints. And on the second day of this whole thing, it was several weeks that we were living together. And do, but on, this, on day two, we hiked. Oh, God. We covered. We went to Waimea Valley. Then went to Waimanu Valley. So this valley okay, it was a Waimanu. It was, oh, easily, I don't know, 20-something miles from civilization. And we're literally, there's just no one but, it was like Lord of the Flies. There's like 12 of us kids. We barely know each other. And um, the counselors had gone to sleep. And, and one of these, the older kids, one of the older kids, he was kind of like the group leader. Uh, he said, hey, man, who wants to smoke? And back then, all I did was smoke cigarettes. And um, this was kind of the early 80s when, if you know, you smoke marijuana, you were like, you're kind of like that's the next level. You're like a hood. You're like a you know kind of. A you're like a badass, right? You're a badass if you're smoking you're a weed. Badass, and you're a, and yeah. And my mom told me that people that smoke weed, man, they are they are like they're gangsters and everybody. <laughs> Shit, am I gonna am I gonna enter? That's it. But I was thinking, you know, these guys were so cool. And see, when you know you got to live with these guys, you just have this kind of sense. It's sort of like a prison mentality. You just have a sense that you're either going to go with this group or you're going to go with the other group. And I was like, I think I'm going to go. So I ended up smoking some of this weed and up in, that was age 15 when I, when I first did that. And my life up until for the first 15 years of my life, I didn't realize how miserable and tormented I was mostly by myself, not by my lifestyle or by my situation. I was just constant. I was so caught up in my own head and, uh, just um, and it, when I first smoked that weed, I, I told on, on the Mark Belk podcast, I was the same thing. I said, if you ever feel the way I did the first time I smoked weed, um, you, it's almost certain you're going to be addicted to it, and you're going to have to. It's going to bring a lot of shit into your life, and but at the same time, it's going to. For me, it was part of the sum total of who I am. So, and we'll, we'll go down that road later, but, uh, yeah, the first time I had it, I was, it was magic. I was in this Valley that was, that people have literally, even to this day, if you were to go to that Valley, you'd be lucky if you found five people in there, most of them hippies or hiding from the law or something. But, um, we went, uh, I, I felt like I had never felt before. I no, number one, I felt a camarad a camaraderie or with these other guys, I felt so bonded with them. Whereas I always felt like I was an outsider. I had never felt like I was part of a group. But as we were all smoking, we were starting to talk and we we're getting this bubble with each other. I was like, I've never connected with people like that, especially strangers uh, who they were at the time. Um, and then we went to this this stream that was nearby, and we, using our flashlights, we started catching these wild prawns that lived in it was a freshwater stream and they were big and and it was like one of those weird things were things that shouldn't be like kind of some weird alice in wonderland um we found a a metal grill like that when we bent it a certain way we could put the prawns in this grill and we threw it right on this campfire that the, the counselors had made for us earlier uh, and we cooked these prawns on the, and we 
pulled their t- and we ate, and it was a sweet it, it was like and i'm not even a real pro i don't even really eat shrimp back then that wasn't my thing so but they were and eating it together with these guys it was just this real primal alpha primal. <laughs> alpha male uh you know it was yeah I could see, and that's why I asked you that, because it sounds like what the weed did for you was it took that layer away of insecurity. It took that layer away that where you held back or were shy, maybe, and then you just felt like you were with everybody else, and that's how I could see where, where you would say that would be super addicting if, you know, I'm shy all the time and, you know, whatever it may be, and then I smoke weed, and wow, you know, I, I feel like everybody else, you know, so I could see. Yeah, and... I felt like a bird that was let out of a cage. Um, and I, I, I sometimes like, as we talk about this, you know, in, in cases, young, younger people or people that, you know, I have a few followers on Instagram and, and, or, or their kids or whatever. I, you know, you can clearly see, I, I get a little emotional and excited about this um, because I can go right back to that time. And ooh, I still feel that, but um, I want, the bottom line I want people to know is if you, if what your, your initial experience with weed is anything like mine, be careful. That's, and I'm, it sounds like I'm actually trying to sell, hey, smoke weed. And if you're insecure and you're kind of a little bit of a freak like me, then mm-hmm. all of a sudden you'll have friends and everything's going to be fine. No, because no. the years I've, I've been arrested in police um, stings, uh, you know, I ended up, yeah, I got into a lot of not serious trouble, and I never became a drug dealer. But I, I, you know, I did things that I shouldn't have. It did lead me into other drugs, um, and it's just by the grace of God that I'm, I was able to kind of get. Because yeah, um, I wouldn't recommend like if I was to tell my own children, hey, I mean, no, don't, please. I tell both my daughters, please. I understand if you want to try it, there's nothing I can do if, if that's where you want to go with that. And I wouldn't blame you otherwise, but I just hope that you don't have my experience with it because yeah, it was. Uh, I can see that being a rabbit hole. You know, I, I think anything that would alter your mood and emotionally and your heart and mentally, I don't care what it is. If one substance makes you feel that good, you should run like hell because bottom line right yeah you know and early on i hated marijuana i hated it but then as i got older i had a lot of trouble sleeping i I just couldn't sleep and then in florida they made it yeah they made it medically available i don't like it because during the day it makes me a slug and i don't like that feeling where i'm not i'm not sharp but i also don't like pills i don't like any big pharma bullshit if i have a choice between like an ambient or whatever these people take or something from the ground to sleep and I can't get arrested for it. I'll take it from the ground any day. But how, however, if I had felt like you did where I could function better throughout the day, it would scare me to death because I would, I'm the type that I'd be on it forever, all day, every day. Right. And, and, you know, honestly, if you want to talk about sleep, even to this day, uh, uh, like, yeah, nothing gives me better. A, a sense of better sleep. I now know that from all the sleep studies that have been done on cannabis as a sleep aid, it's it's not really the best. Apparently, it's not the best quality sleep. Uh, it, it seems to shut down the REM, yeah. the dream state of 
And that's one thing I used to equate if I didn't have these, what I call these dreams, because I would have crazy dreams all the time. Me too. And I almost felt like I didn't sleep. I, I just felt like I, I laid in bed and watched movies all night. And then when I started, Dude, I felt like that too. I many times I thought I was up all night and like whoever I was with, the girl was like, dude, you were dead and out. And I really thought I was up all night long. Yeah. Right. Me too. And and I'd be like, and then when I started smoking weed, I'd have this deep coma sleep <laughs> and I'd wake up and I'd feel like, yeah. And I thought, but what I realized was um, what I felt was refreshed was just kind of this, the hangover on weed. I, I can't drink alcohol. I'm allergic to it. So the hang this so-called after effect when I'd wake up the next morning, it, I kind of felt good. But then after late morning, then I'd get this lethargy that I think you're talking about where you're, you're sluggish and you're slow and you're just, an, you're just a dummy. A dummy. And then if you do that day after day after day, you just, you're just, you turn just, into, yeah. And that had going forward, um, that had a big effect on on the grades that i got like because i was only 15 so you know my junior year my senior year i was just constantly stoned and taking then i was taking acid and you know uh when you did acid became my new thing. <laughs> oh yeah mm -hmm. uh when you did acid oh, did, did you did you get more spiritual after you had done it did it make you more spiritual okay yeah now okay so not wanting to sell people on the, no, not selling on the, no. the pros of right, but honestly, talk to Graham Hancock. <laughs> these, these, yeah, these the, drugs are they're a, a double edged sword, all of them are. And you know, now as I'm here now, um, they like I said, they're the sum total of everything that's currently me. And yes, I did. I I believe that both the weed and the LSD opened me to concepts and to even spiritual uh, pathways that I believe have, in a way, helped shape who I am, the better parts of me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but at the same time, I abused LSD. It, I you know, you're not supposed to take it every day. And I, there was enough of, at, at the second school I went to, there was weed and acid and, and uh, ecstasy and all kinds of stuff all day long. And I would sometimes just to entertain my friends, I would drop a dot or a blotter just, at time, <laughs> just because you're not supposed to. <laughs> I, but again, I'm sorry. Or I felt like I was immune to it. Like I would take what they call a triple dip black off and I'll just go, how many is this for? Four people? Give it yeah. to me now. And I'll just drop it running. Yeah, and I would. And people would go, holy shit. And I did that. And it really got to the point where I was kind of, this was terrible. I didn't really, I got kind of uh, immune to acid. <laughs> and then one night I took, I took some mild, whatever it was some weekend and i wanted i it that thing i don't know what happened i thought at the time that it made me psychotic i now realize you know uh when my experience with like mushrooms and we can talk about that later uh that it actually released it didn't give me this horrible psychosis that that ended up I was, I, I was literally kind of 
loony bin material for months after taking this one hit. I'd taken dozens and dozens of doses of LSD and God knows what it was. And then one night I just took what should have been nothing and that just sent me, it was like an avalanche. I felt like all of the acid that I took with impunity, it's like I got this big bill. Like someone's just keeping a tab and they said, okay, pay for this all at once now. <laughs> like all the acid that I ever took just avalanched on me and i was seeing trace you know like when you move your hand across your face and you see more fingers oh, and at night every car that went by it would leave this long string of red light behind it imagine that for like four to six months what and trying to make like you don't see that like wow. yeah and my mom and dad well i told them what happened but it didn't stop and then you have you know, i'll be sitting in a restaurant and just all of a sudden, I could be in this beautiful, huge restaurant filled with people. And it, literally, I feel like I am in somebody's trunk with duct tape around my head. That's the the level of anxiety, of panic. I didn't know that at the time. That's what they call panic attack. But paralyzing, where it would affect my breathing. And I could be in a football field, and I'd just get this claustrophobia attack. And it, it, I felt like I was possessed by demons literally and it was just horrible now that segues us into crystal meth because this as crazy as this sounds i this was going on for months and i, I the one time i did see a therapist um was for that my parents were like okay this is pretty freaky man whatever going whatever go, is going on with this kid we need to get him professional help but I, I sat with that therapist once and I knew in my heart there was nothing this guy could do to fix what was going on with me. I walked and out I on 40 of them. Bill, 40. As soon as I walked in, if they said, hey, Tommy, how's your day going? Fuck you. I'll see you later. I don't, I don't need asked how my day's yeah. going. And then I found one. Yeah. Ready, Bill? You're going to laugh. I found one. I walked in and at the time I dressed like an idiot. You know, I was from South Philly with a big gold chain. Moved down here. I was gonna open. I was gonna open up a. I was in the middle of opening up a engineering firm, and my mom, you know, like you're my only me about this fucking therapist thing forever. So finally, I go to this guy, and he goes, and he looked me up and down, and he goes, "What are you doing with that gold chain on?" Or actually, he said, "What the fuck is it with that gold chain? How are you gonna ever do business like that?" And I said, "You're my guy. Sold. Sold. I'm coming back." <laughs> so there we go. That's it, man. All right. See, yeah. And then how hard was it to get off that? Well, okay. Well, here's the thing. My buddy, to this day, my buddy, he's my best man at my wedding, my brother. Um, Glad to hear that. I, he, I, I, he told me, well, I was tell, talking to him one night. I'm literally like, fuck, man. He's like, okay, man. Because he wasn't used to seeing me like that. And I finally told him about the, the, the acid this is, dude, you, yeah, you've been acting fucked up, man. I mean, how long has this been going on? I said, fucking about four months, but it feels like four years, man. He's like, four months? Holy shit. I'm like, why did you tell me earlier? I said, I don't want to be a pussy, man. He's like, you're not being a pussy. He's all like, we got to fix this. I'm like, well, what the fuck are you, how, what are you going to do to fix my <laughs> hallucinations and voices and claustrophobia? He's like, bro. I got, I know what we can do. I don't know what. And he, he takes out this little glass dick thing 
and a little bag of rocks. And this was the 80s. This was late 80s. You know, when the crack mm -hmm. epidemic was just, we had crack and AIDS in the, in the late 80s. And I'm like, fuck, I don't want, what the hell, man? I don't, you, I don't want crack. You think crack is all, no, 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 no. Chill, calm down, man. This is not, you think, you think, bro, you think I'm going to sit you with crack? This is, this is not crack. This is way better. This is ice. It's a fucking call it what you want, man. I'm not smoking rocks. <laughs> no, no, no. You don't understand. See, you're freaking out because you think this, this is, and he met this, this is way better than crack. But the best thing is it's not addictive. I'm like, oh, fuck, why didn't you say so? <laughs> so next thing he's dropping some of these things in and we're sitting in my room at like three in the morning and we're like, and I'm like, and honestly, it, it tasted pretty good. I'm like, oh, that's a battery acid. Pretty the, good, right? <laughs> I was, you know, it had this weird watermelon flavor to it, honestly. Huh. It was like some weird vaporized watermelon. I'm like, what is that fuck? Okay. And then within seconds, I was feeling like, if you take the way I felt on weed the first time I smoked weed, it was that on steroids. Mm -hmm. right? And anybody that's tried, and that's why, so if what I was saying about weed was like a warning, meth and coke and things like that, just bring it up to that level. Be, has a big red X on it for you, right? Big, exactly. And a skull and crossbones because <laughs> that was like, oh, like that. In fact, that in a way, when I tried that, it almost made weed become, oh, fuck weed, man. This is <laughs> so I, we ended up driving around the island. And it's not a big island, but we ended up driving out to the North Shore, you know, where all they have all the surf contests. That's about an hour, a little over an hour from my place where I was living in Kahala. We drove out to the North Shore three times, starting at 3 a.m., and we didn't end until lunchtime the next day, chain-smoking Marlboro Lights and drinking big gulps and just talking and listening to Van Halen. And, and then I started coming down, and it was, and it was actually that the, the next day, the evening time. That, this is a strong drug. And I had never felt so alive and so awake before. And then my buddy said, hey, man, so how you doing? I said, well, I'm a little tired, man. He's all, no, no, but, but how you doing? I said, fuck, I'm a little tired, man. What the hell? He said, no, man. Are, you, you recall, do you know why we're taking this shit? I said, yeah, because it's fucking good. <laughs> no. Remember <laughs> about you having all, and I realized, and, and Tommy, I realized, holy fuck. You know what? He took it away. All of those halluc. I didn't see a single like when I, I no more tracers, no more claustrophobia, paranoia. I was like, oh shit, you were right. He's like, well, I have since since the since we started this, I have I totally forgot that I even had that. He's like, you see, bro, I got your back, man. I'm like, right on. Well, that. That one night turned into over two years oh, of driving around the island, chain smoking, and then also smoking weed, but no more acid. Uh, <laughs> but honest, it's the weirdest thing. And I don't know if there's something to that. And I, I certainly I'll let the researchers that deal with this, I'll let them take this for what it is. But Tommy, it, 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 that one night kind of, it was like a defibrillation of my brain. That, it was such a powerful and I, maybe the sleep deprivation combined with this huge adrenal dump and all God knows what else was going on 
but it seemed to just it you know how like a heart that's like this and then you hit it with a defibrillator and it's now pumping again it seemed to do that to my brain I went down this uh, because I I went through this phase where I I had a bunch of scientists in and doctors and I went down this extreme rabbit hole where I I would just read and read and read. And every single drug, even meth, meth, ecstasy, heroin, all of them, they were originally developed in a good way to work for like an anesthesia or depression or whatever. It's when it got in the hands of drug dealers and then they started making it more synthetic adding cut to it, whatever. But the original chemical of all of them had a very good medical purpose. You know, all of them. It was when the drug dealers got a hold of them and started making it themselves, not a guy who's a, you know, 20-year in school playing around with ecstasy and meth and making it correctly. You know, now it's down to the street where they're like, oh, okay, I get this and I get this and mix this and here you go, you know. Yeah, you get you get the weaponized version of it. Yeah, um, but you know it's weird. In this was in the late eighties, I think it was like nineteen eighty eight, uh, maybe eighty nine. Meth was apparently the smokable version of of crystal meth entered the United States through Hawaii. Wow! Now they there was crank on the mainland, but crank was a snortable speed, like speed, type right? Type of meth, yeah. And apparently that was made either in America or coming out of Mexico. And that was a different type of, it was a very rough high. The stuff that we were getting was coming out of Korea, the Philippines. High quality stuff. Out of Asia, it was very high quality. They called it water soluble. And then as, and I, I said, you know, so we started with that stuff and it was just, and it made you very, very calm. It was, I like now. I know now. I know, understand how Adderall works on people. I'd never been more calm. I could speak very clearly to people, and I was also very. I was very nice. It, it made me kind of my personality the way I wanted to be. Like I could speak to strangers, look them in the eye, and not be all fidgety and twitchy. And it, it was weird. Like the way that you see a meth addict. That's the way I was normally. Like all nervous, and I won't look at people in the eye. And then when I'd smoke, I'd look at them in the eye and I could calmly like listen to them and actually connect. Once again, it sounds like I'm advocating this, but things went south after two years of this. That was only the initial effect. Yeah. So just for people listening, every time you talk about this, you you always mention, yeah, it did A, B and C that was good, but it also led to two years of this shit, you know, or three years of that or three years of that, you know. This episode is sponsored by Aurora. Do you know what the fastest growing crime in America is? For years, this crime rate has been surging and affecting millions of Americans. I'm talking about identity theft, and there's a new victim every 14 seconds. Yet despite this, those who have had their identity stolen are often shocked when it happens. That's why I'm excited to partner with Aurora, who is sponsoring this video. Aurora is identity theft protection, fraud monitoring, a VPN, password management, and antivirus software all into one easy-to-use app. Their VPN allows you to stay anonymous online by keeping your browsing history and personal information safe and encrypted. Protect you and your family from America's fastest-growing crime. Try Aurora for free for two weeks and see if you or anyone in your family's personal information has been compromised. Start your free trial today. Go to aurora.com 
slash MSCS. The link is in the description below. This episode is brought to you by Fiji. More than just water. This is not just rock. It's ancient volcanic rock that filters tropical rain, giving it double the electrolytes and its signature soft, smooth taste. It's not just water. It's Fiji water. Yeah. I heard, um, I forget who said this. I heard it not that long ago, that whatever a drug gives you up front, it will take a thousandfold on the back end. And it seems to be the case. Yeah. Um, but fortunately, the stuff we were getting apparently was a lot cleaner because over the next two years, it started getting really dirty and we could feel it. We would would we went and maybe and we weren't doing it every day so it's not like our brains are starting to just collapse we would do it on the weekends and then the rest of the week we had jobs we never lost weight we still had all our teeth and everything but um we would party every weekend um but then we started noticing it started tasting really bad and there's this black residue in the glass pipes that wasn't there before and our lungs are just hammered and and yeah, it started to change. Um, what so. I found really interesting, I, I think you'll find this interesting. I have this, uh, the, the, the nice, one of the nicest guys I've ever met. His name is Roger Reeves. And you'll laugh at this stuff. <clears throat> so he was making moonshine, like in the middle of like Nashville, you know, and he got his pilot, he got his pilot license. And this is back in, you know, 60s, 70s, whatever, long time ago. And wherever he was, it was in the boonies. And when I say boonies, I don't mean Kentucky boonies. I mean the boonies. And, you know, whoever had come up to him and had said, hey, Roger, we'll give you 5000 if you fly, you know, let's say a ton of marijuana to this place and that place. So then he goes back to his mom and he goes, mom, I talked to the lawyer. Lawyer said, worst case probation. I get 5000 to run. His mom goes, son, you don't need a, a co-pilot <laughs> back then. So as we were talking and it got bigger and bigger and he started moving 30 tons at a time. And he had told me that when he would move just the marijuana, he was just the, the pickup and drop off. So he never got charged with any violence. He picked it up, dropped it off. Eventually he got caught. Uh, and he had said okay. that I thought was really, I kind of thought it in the back of my head that every load that went to America was different than everywhere else that they had added addictive properties to every drug that was going to america that was not in the loads going to other countries not that that's a shocker to anybody but you know right yeah and then i wanted to ask what happened with you that you had surgery and screws that you couldn't get in the military oh yeah okay so um you know i i have a theory because i was always considered a like okay um for my generation of people in Hawaii, and as an Asian person, I was always considered a big Asian person, uh, especially for my generation. Um, I, by the time I was about 15 years old, I had, I was at my current, I used to be six one, Damn. now six feet, uh, shrunken since. Yeah, so that's tall I for me. That was pretty big. I. Yeah, and I woke. I walked around at about 175, 180. Uh, oh, so by the time I was, this was a football injury. I got it in my sophomore year, weighed about 180, 175. Um, and so if you looked at me, I looked like a pretty, and I wasn't in the lifting a whole bunch of weights back then. 
but uh, I was kind of big. But I also drank a lot of, um, sorry, I also drank a lot of soda because back in the, in this time, 7-Eleven came out with, uh, with a big gulp. Oh. And I was a soda junkie. <laughs> and I didn't know that drinking a lot of Coca-Cola, I love Coca-Cola, um, that drinking a lot of that actually demineralized your bones. And I have a, because if you looked at the way I was built and how physical I was, I mean, I was always wrestling and just banging with people all the time. I just loved the way that felt. But uh, my shoulders dislocated very easily. Like I could jump in a pool and one or both my, if I didn't hold oh. my arms against my side, I could dislocate my shoulder jumping in a swimming pool. Wow, man. So in a football practice one day, uh, we were doing a tackle drill and it was, um, me and uh, it's three band tackle drill and when we all collided the three of us spun in such a way where i ended up on the bottom when we landed with my arm like this and this huge guy landed with and so it dislocated my shoulder um <laughs> and it did enough damage where and this was before arthroscopic surgery so back in that day um, i think they called it a bristol procedure they would i mean i have a big long about a five, six inch scar right here. They would just cut you open, spread that thing. Cause they, in order to get down there, they had to make an incision that was this long just to get to a space this big. And then they took a part of my bicep and put it. And so literally what should be part of my bicep, hi Chili, um, what should be part of my bicep is actually uh, now acts kind of as a pectoralis muscle. <laughs> Uh, if that was, and they, in order to do that, they needed to put two, uh, some stainless steel screws somewhere in there. You should be in the Guinness World Records for that one. Um, no, uh, you know that guy, uh, uh, what's his name? Chris Kyle, the American sniper. Yeah. I think Bradley Cooper did him. Yeah, Bradley, yeah. That guy, Chris Kyle, apparently, apparently he had the same thing that I had. I think they said it was a Bristol procedure. Wow. And they told him the same thing in the 90s when he tried to get in. Um, they told him, no, we're not taking that. That's, we don't take that procedure. If you had it, you are not eligible for military service. But he, I guess, was more motivated than I was. And he went to a different recruiting office and lied about it. And then he became the American sniper. So that sucks. <laughs> I could have been the American sniper, damn it. No, but, uh, um, anyway, so that's kind of, that was, the, that's why, um, cause you know, my motivation for lifting weights, it went from Bruce Lee um and then as i kind of and then martial and martial arts have always that that never ever ended to this day um you know mma and everything i just can't get enough but uh once i started be, got in high school that was the, that was when uh, schwarzenegger and stallone and van damme one of the most pivotal movies i ever saw was first blood oh yeah with, with stallone <clears throat> Sylvester. I, to this day, I think I've probably watched that movie close to, if not a hundred times since it came out. Uh, that movie, that character, because I really related to this, because, you know, I was kind of like that back then. I was kind of sullen. I mean, I could be a really like kind of guy with my friends, but then I'd go to these dark spaces and that John Rambo character and the way he was in that movie kind of, and, and then the way you could, he's like, okay, if you with this guy he's gonna he, okay he'll be all right all right all right and then when he went off and the way he went off on that sheriff in that town i was like run oh <clears throat> shit 
So, and then the way he looked, remember that scene in the shower where they oh, yeah. process him? And when he put his hands up behind his head and he had those scars from being tortured in Vietnam, and I remember just seeing those obliques and the inner cost. I was like, holy shit, that's, that's, that's it. Yeah, so that, so then I wanted to be in special forces. And from that point on, I had a couple of years to get ready. And that's why I tried to get into the military. So all my, my training went from wanting to just be a good martial artist to wanting to be in the special forces. So I started sleep depriving myself. And, you know, like whenever there was a rainy night, I would, my parents would just, I don't know how my mom did it, but I would <laughs> purposely go out in the yard. We had a pretty big yard and I'd sleep in that rain underneath a, um, a garbage bag. And I felt like a cheater because I had the garbage bag, but I had to, yeah, I wanted to simulate because I knew if I ever went into special forces training, that's the least of what they would do to me. So I did push-ups and push-ups and running until I couldn't walk anymore. And I was so, then when I finally went to, to apply for the military, they, they wouldn't take me. And they said, you are permanently ineligible. You're like, I just got done suffocating myself in the rain with a bag. And now you're telling me I'm ineligible. Yeah, years of like tormenting my mom and for, for nothing, but, at the same time, soon after that, we had the Gulf War, and um, I have a few classmates that actually ended up going into the Gulf War, and ooh, they came back and not so that, good. It wasn't well. They had PTSD. Yeah. I mean, the PTSD notwithstanding, they also had some chemical. You know, there's apparently they were burning oil rigs out there, and and so there was a lot of chemical pollution that those soldiers suffered in the gulf war i guess uh the iraqi army was purposely sabotaging oil wells and it it, it just the, apparently the smoke was just this black acrid just toxic smoke and they did it to blow downwind into the military into the american forces yeah <clears throat> yeah it was like a uh yeah, it it was like equivalent to, say you have uh, exactly what you said. I believe they used diesel. They they set diesel on fire so that you that the Americans would have yeah. to inhale it like straight on. So if that doesn't mess you up coming back, they, oof. yeah, they they knew the wind patterns of that desert, and they they it was a form of chemical warfare. Um, and yeah, a few of my buddies came back and permanently damaged from that, you know, as similar to the, the people, those, uh, that, that were in the world trade center situation. Yeah. So I guess, you know, um, you know, God bless the people that went out there and took that for everyone. But uh, I was, I guess I, I dodged that. And, um, and this was now, now we're going into the early nineties and I was like, okay, well, the military is out. Um, and I was kind of in, in getting into my early 20s. I was thinking, man, I, there's not much going on for me here in Hawaii. If I'm not going to go in the military, I need to get out of here. So that's when um, my then girlfriend, who's now my wife, Leslie. How'd you um, meet Leslie? In, How'd you meet her? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and did you know? Did you know she was the one the first time you met her? Not. Oh, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you. I'm trying to get you some points, buddy. I saw her. It, it was okay. She, she's already heard this, so I don't think I can damage myself anymore. But, um, 
I, I was, it kind of took the wind out of my sails now that, okay, I really was kind of thinking, okay, I'm going to be a, if I'm not special forces, I'll be a soldier. I'm going to be in the, and once that was off, I'm like, well, what am I going to do now? Cause I didn't, I, I got really bad grades in school. So I wasn't really, you know, a great candidate for college. I was going to the community college at the time, but really not no direction there. And um, so I was just kind of a bum for the, the years following my graduation. And there's this mall that's called Kahala Mall, right next to, it's, it's, a, it's a nice mall in the, this area. And there was this coffee, the first of its kind, this was early 90s. Hawaii is always years behind the mainland. So by the time something gets to the mainland, you got to wait three to five years before it makes it to Hawaii. So <laughs> I was, I remember there was this, I was going to the supermarket one day and there was this little cart that I had never seen before. And I had never seen an espresso machine and all these people were crowded around it. And I figured, Oh, okay. It's a coffee cart. Okay. Yay. Good. And I, to me, I was just a black coffee guy. I'm not drinking no cappuccino or latte or breves or any of that stuff. Um, but I, kind of just from going there, I got to know the manager. I just would talk, I was talking to him in the, in the supermarket one day and he says, Hey man, uh, Hey, let me buy you a cup of coffee at. And so I tried the coffee and it was actually the best coffee I've ever to this day. That was the best cup of coffee I've ever had. And I was like, Oh, shit, I love that. Then he said, Oh, if you, then we, as he got to know me, he said, Oh, you're going to community college. Do you need a part-time job? I could totally use a guy like you. And I said, yeah, man. Okay, sure. So, cause it was close to the community college. So I, I picked up a few shifts. Oh, I, I, I got hired by him. My first day training, my first day at work, uh, my wife was, she had been, she started a few couple of weeks before me. And I remember the first, they gave me an apron. I put it on and I was this cocky 20 something year old dick. And, um, so it's, uh, the, the manager and my wife and Leslie and then me. And she was wearing a sleeveless little outfit because it was warm in Hawaii and it was an outdoor thing. And she was like, she said, hey, Bill, this is Leslie. I said, hi, Leslie. And she's, my, she's only five feet tall. So I was quite a bit taller than her. And at the time, she had this rash on her arm. So I'm standing off to her left and on her left arm, I'm noticing a rash right here. And the first thing I'm thinking to myself is, fuck, I hope that's not contagious. <laughs> if you want to know what my first thought about my wife, you know, that, that love at first sight thing, um, not really. I was like, dude, I'm wondering if I should stand on the other side of her. <laughs> or maybe get a new job. That was my first yeah. yeah, I was like, oh, okay. But anyway, long story short, I got over that. Um, and, you know, we worked. Uh, she then went to to Occidental. She was just there for a little while. And I didn't think twice of it because we, you know, it was just a revolving door of, of, of people working there. Um, but I eventually became a manager there. And then she graduated and came back and we just worked together. And we both happened to break up with our respective boyfriends and girlfriends up for her, her boyfriend and my girlfriend um, around the same time. And then at a company picnic and we were always friends. At that, by that time, I got over her and, and this thing cleared up and she had actually very nice skin, but um, <laughs> I got over that. And then we went to a company party and the boss, had, uh, they rented two kayaks 
and nobody was going out on the kayaks. And the boss just kind of has a joke, says, hey, you, what are you, bunch of pussies? Come on. I paid a lot of money for these two kayaks. I'm, someone's got to use them. So, and the sun was going down. Uh, it, was, you know, it was an evening, kind of afternoon thing. And, and I, I told Leslie, I, well, I said, hey, who wants to go out with me? Uh, come on, let's, let's, let's justify the rental of these things. And Leslie said, I'll go with you. And I was like, I'm, and she's, if you saw her or if you knew her back then, she was a very, she's petite and very not, I didn't consider her an adventurous or a daredevil. Anyway, long story short, I took her out and we went way farther than we should have. And at the, at, at the deepest part of the ocean that we could go, I'm just barely seeing land. I started telling her, hey, you know, we're out beyond the shelf. She's all, what's the shelf? I said, okay, well, you notice when we were on our way out here, you could look down and you could see reef. She said, yeah. I said, you see any reef here? And there's enough sun where she could tell it's just black. I said, so right now what happened is that we're, we have all this reef and then there's now a deep drop up. There's at least 300 feet of water beneath us and patrolling along the wall of this shelf, we have tiger sharks because at this time of day, they like, and I was just trying to scare her. Mm -hmm. And as I'm telling her this story, <laughs> back in the eighties, kayaks were very thin. They're not wide now, like they are now where, I mean, you can be drunk and have half your brain scooped out and still stay upright on that thing. You actually had to balance, especially on a two man kayak. You had to both be kind of actively balancing. And as I'm telling her this story, just trying to freak her out, I flipped us. And we both go in and we, and I, then I'm freaking out because when I hit that water, deep water has a certain cold to it that that shallower water doesn't. And when we got in there, my feet went down deep and it was, I'm like, oh shit, we really are over the shelf. So now I'm freaking out and you can't just dive back into the kayak. You gotta, you gotta slowly get back in both of you. And I don't know why, but I started laughing as we're, once we got back in the, the, the kayak, and she goes, you dick, don't do that. She was freaking out. And when I saw her face, I was mean. I started laughing and I started laughing so hard. I dumped us in again. Oh, I'm my like, oh, goodness. Now, so, now, so eventually we both got <laughs> back to shore. But I thought she was going to be really angry at me. But she wasn't. She was a good sport about it. Because if I was her, I would have actually been pissed. Because, you know, she was wearing all her regular clothes. She didn't bring a swimsuit. And I promised her that I would that we she I we would be fine. And I at the not only did I terrorize her, but I soaked all her clothes and but twice. Super cool about it. Yeah, twice <laughs> and, and over the shelf with all the tiger sharks and shit. And, and so um, good move, buddy. <laughs> yeah, and then somebody, one of the other uh, baristas or the cop people that worked there, they said they had a little party at their apartment, and I. You know, I said, okay, I said bye to everybody. And I went home and she called me. Uh, we didn't have cell phones. She actually called me on this landline that I had in my room. And she said, hey, are you coming to the party? I said, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to come to the party. I, but if you like me too, sure. So I went and trust me, she physically was not my type. I mean, you know, the girls I had dated were all 5'7", 5'8", 5'9", 5'10". And she was five feet tall and kind of just this what I called a nice girl and but I was like oh, what the hell I don't have anything going on and long story she was so easy to hang out with and so we quickly became friends 
I had no, you know, normally when a guy starts going out with a girl, you start wondering, okay, I wonder what she looked like naked and all this other yeah, shit. Yeah, in the back of your mind, you're starting to like kind of plot like a move. Would this maybe work? Would that maybe work? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah, you start kind of thinking all those thoughts, right? That guys think like, oh, I wonder what would happen if, uh, I never thought that. I was like weird. I was like, what is this weird thing that's going on with me? I'm actually, actually, yeah. So um, within a few months, we were friends for months and months, just friends. Like, and uh, eventually when I started talking about moving to LA, because my dreams of being a special forces uh, wannabe soldier, those were dashed and I knew I had to get out of town. So my next plan was to move to Venice, California. So I, I think my life, it, it sounds, because Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, you know, I guess that's what he did. And, and um, it looked, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger's body, who wouldn't want, like if you were in a bodybuilding or any muscle, and then he was all over the movies back then, right? Uh, Terminator and all. So Arnold Schwarzenegger was another big influence in my life. But I thought I would look at the pictures, those black and white pictures of him at Muscle Beach. And it wasn't so much... Arnold Schwarzenegger, but the way Venice Beach looked was captivating to me. Um, it called to me. So I didn't want to be like Arnold and follow, but Venice Beach and that Santa Monica area, the way it looked. So I actually took a trip out there um, in 19. I, when, I, when I first went out to explore whether I wanted to live in Venice and in Santa Monica, here's... I showed up at my friend's house. She lived up in Beverly Hills and not the rich part, you know, those normal parts of Beverly Hills or just normal. My very first night in, in LA, I, I was sleeping on the floor and she was just a friend from Hawaii. I'm sleeping on the floor, the, her living room floor. And in the middle of the night, the floor starts going, jung, 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 and I am bouncing Remember those hockey games that vibrated? Yeah. And it would make the little parts move. Okay, that's what's going on. I'm the floor. It's just going, da, 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 da. I'm like, holy. And you, you know, you instantly get an adrenal dump. So you get instant night vision. And I could see the television on the entertainment center. It's bouncing and it's about ready to fall on me. So I got up and I, I'm pushing and I'm thinking to myself, this is an LA earthquake. Earthquake. Yeah. And I'm like, <clears throat> yeah, because it clearly, I mean, it was huge and then when it ended you hear as far as you can hear car alarms and dogs barking and i'm like and i i'd heard about earthquakes in la being a kind of a regular thing i'm thinking holy shit is this what they are talking fuck i was like and then the the girl i'm staying with her name was miley she said bill i'm like yeah she's all are you okay? I said, yeah. And she, she wouldn't come out of her room. She's calling to me down the hall. She's all, oh my God. And I'm like, what are you saying? Oh my God. For She's all, that was huge. And that was the Northridge earthquake. Wow. So my first night, my first night, in LA, <laughs> what are the odds, right? The, what are the odds that the first, I hadn't been to California since I went there to Disneyland as a kid. My first time in california literally the first night i'm there 
I make, I'm there for the Northridge earthquake. Because I was thinking, man, if this is a regular thing, I don't know if I can live here. And that was gnarly. And then I, we opened the door. There's water pouring down the stairs because the water pipes broke. And there were huge cracks going up and down the hall. And then I'm, okay, this was a, it turned out that was a Northridge earthquake. And that was my introduction to L.A. You got luck like I do. Here's my, well, yeah, I know. I was thinking, what a fucking loser. You know, the first time I go to L.A., I get that Northridge. But it was actually kind of a cool start to my 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 time in, in L.A. Um, because certainly it was exciting. The first thing I did before I even called my mom. No, I called my mom immediately. And I'm glad I did because within I made two calls. I called my mom and then I ordered six large pizzas. I don't know what. But it turned out to be the best decision I made because the phone service was overloaded within minutes after oh, that. Man. And we got six large pizzas and there was no food for three days. Damn. And we ate six large pizzas over three days. And my friend Miley was like, I am so glad. What made you know to order six large pizzas? I said, I, I hate being hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I was just full on bodybuilding. And so that was my top priority was like, okay, call mom and then make sure you, you get food before this whole thing. And then sure enough, this phone service shut down and then everything shut down. But those pizzas carried us for three days until things started getting back to normal. But um, yeah, that was my, that was my introduction to LA and uh, the five years I spent there were as exciting. I, I loved it there and Venice, we did go down to Venice and I fell in love with Venice. The first day I was there, the fog rolled in from the ocean and it made it kind of like this dreamy landscape. And they had entertainers and, uh, you know, all the vendors there. And, you know, the dude on the roller skates that plays the guitar. He wears the yeah. Guitar. I think his name is, that guy was there. I'm like, oh, I've seen that guy in the movies and now he's right in front of me. And it was magic for me. And so that I knew I'm moving to LA. I, yeah. So I came home. And Leslie was going to just, we're just going to go our own ways. But we decided, I, I, it was weird. I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was in love with her at the time, but the thought of, of not being with her or of having to leave her, that crushed me. So I was like, what are you doing for like, I don't know, the next year? <laughs> and she ended up going out with me. So she moved with me. And later on, I said, you know what? A few years after years after being with her, I said, you know what? What, why on earth would you want to move? Why would you want to move to LA with me? You barely knew me. She said, well, it's either that or I have to live with my mom. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, hope, I hope her mom's not listening to this. <laughs> but no, at the time, she and her mom. Yeah. That's all young people who are we're into our 20s and we're living with our parents too long. So yeah, things were getting a little edgy. So I was, I was hoping that she said, oh, it's because you were such a great guy and I loved you so much. No, it was either like, me or her mom. I was like, oh, all right. So I was, a, I was like a default. It's like, uh, all right, well, I'll take what I can get, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So, uh, yeah, you know, given a, given a choice between uh, hanging or drowning, I'm like. Pretty much. But anyway, that's what got us out there. Yeah. And then, you know, you're working out hard. You're doing everything. And uh, something that I can relate to, my mom had gotten colon cancer, but she waited forever. She waited till almost stage five she hadn't gone to the bathroom for two and a half weeks she did she was that old school italian where it doesn't tell anybody anything okay. you know if they're <clears throat> she was sick right. 
it would have to be at the very point of like the end. <clears throat> so she goes, right. uh, you know, a bunch of hospitals, you know, nothing we could do. And we took her to uh university of Pennsylvania and it was so big, they had a cut. And when they had cut, they had to cut part of the nerve where you pee. And, you know, my mom was a woman. She would, everything was about dinner and, you know, getting together with, uh, you know, other Italian women and, and bitch and moan about whatever they talk about that I stay away from. <laughs> so when she had recovered, she was really, really depressed because she couldn't, she couldn't tell when she had to pee because they, to get all the cancer out, they had to cut the nerve. And the doctor had said, you know, it will be two or three years before that comes back. So for two or three years, she didn't leave her house because she didn't want she had to pee. Oh. So when you're working out like you are, you came back. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, she, they got rid of it. Uh, yeah, but it was longer than three years. It was more like five where she could kind of tell. And then uh, long story short, about a year ago, she had told me she had an infection with the, uh, her stint. So she had gone into the hospital to get the stint changed. Three days later, her friend calls me and says, hey, uh, you know, your mom's not going to make it. And I'm like, what? She's going for an infection. And I tried, you know, I had a little bit of money saved and I had called a friend of mine from Philly to get a medical helicopter tour at Hershey Medical Center to try to take her back to University of Pennsylvania. At this time, I had just had a daughter. She was one year old and my mom was up my ass forever about having a kid. And I waited until I was like, you know, 38, 39 and okay. for whatever reason, you know, they were there and she just didn't want it. And for me with that, it took six, like, I didn't do anything for six months. And then I came to the realization that she was in tons of pain and suffering. And I think she thought <laughs> that, you know, now that I have a little girl that I won't fuck up, like Tommy will stop getting in trouble and doing stupid shit. I can leave now and get out of pain because he's an asshole, but he's got a little girl now and I, I think he's okay and I'm out. I'm out of this, you know. Right. What were the signs that you had gotten? And then when you had gotten diagnosed with it after, you know, beating, you know, the drug situation and, and the tough growing up and, you know, the changes, now, you know, you find Leslie, everything else, and then boom, colon cancer. Yeah, so I, okay, this is my public service announcement because <laughs> uh, I, okay, so it's been 11 years since I finished my treatment for cancer. I was 42 when I was diagnosed. I'm currently, ooh, almost 12, so I'm 54 now. So it's going on 12 years since I was treated and- Congratulations. Uh, up on thank you but up until uh, and you know you have these almost these mandatory follow-up treatments for five years after your you know after you're initially diagnosed insurance will pay five years of follow-up scans and this and that and so i'm well beyond that and i did not go to the doc prior to my cancer diagnosis i did not get checkups and you'd think i would have learned right no i i up until recently I hadn't been to the doctor for another five, seven years um, because I'm, I'm, you know, you're, I could probably relate to your mom. I'm, my thing is I feel good. I'm functioning well. I know what I'm doing, what I need to go to the doctor for. So, yeah. um, but I'm actually scheduled for a follow-up uh, 
but it's the first one I've had in years and years and years. So going back to your question about my symptoms, um, apparently the cancer I had was a very slow growing cancer because I remember at age 40, I was, I was treated at 42. That's when uh, things got bad. But even from the age of 40, I felt like I had an ulcer and, you know, because I was such a stressed out psycho kid and I was always making things up to worry about in my head. I had at an early age, I had um, ulcers. And so I just thought, okay, here I go, 40 years old. I guess I have some subconscious bullshit that I'm dealing with and I'm, I'm, I'm stressing out because I felt my right here, right where I used to have my ulcer pain. I thought, oh, you're just being a pussy. Just kind of suck it up and stop being such a... And, and it was weird because um, I had, uh, without asking without too much gory information, I'd also had some bowel issues, you know, that was just, I considered normal. Just, okay, I'm a little weird stuff. And, um, and then from age 40 up until the time I was diagnosed, you know, it seemed like uh, my tummy was getting more sensitive to diet and things. But I didn't think much of it. I was like, I've had this my whole life. And it comes and goes. Um, but then I also was noticing as I got closer, I'll get tired kind of easily. Like I could work out hard but then i'd just be so out of breath and then i was also doing kettlebell certification mm. and the it was with a company uh, I, I don't think the organization is around anymore but it was called the rkc it was that pavel satsalin's initial organization and that before crossfit came out that was like the badass that was a that was a hard <laughs> certification to get because they would for three days they would literally try to wash you out and they had like a 33 or 40 percent failure rate not to throw you off topic but i i, I see those kettlebells and uh i'm sorry to you know throw you off but whenever i see somebody do kettlebells and i see rogan does it you know <clears throat> certain guys to me yeah. that looks like a you know like you're asking for an injury it just seems to me like you're asking for an injury it really does. That's exactly what I thought the first time I saw them on YouTube in the early 2000s. I'm like, that's an interesting looking thing, but why the fuck would you do that? <laughs> if you want to break your, snap your back in half, <laughs> why? Because that's what it looked, especially when yeah. you have the belt overhead and then they drop it and then they snap it back overhead. Like, yeah, it just looks so terrible for your joints. It, it seems like a joint destroyer. But you know, the thing is, to this day, I can, I'm, I, you know, I'm doing things with the kettlebells that I was doing at age 40. Um, and I, uh, and knock on wood, but I have yet to hurt myself with kettlebells. Yeah. And, uh, I'm pulling up your uh, Instagram now. And right now uh, you can't see it, but it will be on within the video right now. You're doing kettlebells out of your mouth. You're put, you have like a string. Yeah. yeah you have a, uh, Yellow ones now, you're doing squats with your mouth. That's some shit, brother. That, you know what? Okay, I, just real quick. I'm yeah, sure. Back to the, the, the cancer thing. But that video got a surprising amount of, of attention. And it's not so, I mean, I've had videos that have had more views. But per the amount of views that that uh, that video got, let's see. Um, let me look at the insights real quick. 
So right now it's gotten 395,000 views, but there's 590 comments. And that, I don't think I've had a, a video that has had that much comments per that amount of views. And just so people know, I don't post, I don't post weightlifting stunts. Everything I post is literally the what I do for myself. It's, it's I'll post either the best or the worst of my workout because I work out every day for about 20 to 30 minutes. And as crazy as that looks, I'm trying to get people to understand that the training of the jaw and the neck should be as 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 front and center as training your pecs, your abs, your lats, your biceps, your quads, your the neck should be as to me it's more important to train your neck and your jaw than it is your shoulders and and your biceps and other things it's and it look people are saying oh that's got to be bad for your teeth and uh or you know just most of the comments are really nice but there's understandably some people that are like are you you know why are you posting stuff like that you want people to, like hurt themselves and i'm like no you i'm the people just misunderstand how formidable and how substantial the jaw and the bite is because we were just, and understandably we're taught that your teeth and your jaw are for chewing food and for eating. But in earlier times, our teeth and our jaws were tools. Like, uh, was it the, well, the reason why we have to get our wisdom teeth taken out, Bill is because back in, in, you know, ancient times, you didn't have a grill to go chop up a bear if you found one. You know, you ate whatever you could, so our jaws were bigger. Exactly. And now that we've, you know, whatever you believe in, I mean, we've evolved. And now, because it's gotten smaller, now we have the wisdom teeth issue, Where and that's why people have to get the wisdom teeth taken out. It's a redundant structure now yeah. because, yeah, but... And I see how you're doing it, Bill. I see how you're doing it safely. To me... It, I, I hope that people can see that like I've had on my DMs right now, there are literally dozens of people that sent me videos of them doing their version of that video. Dozens right now. Um, and what I want, so if anybody saw that video, just so they know, I am not biting because I've seen some people wrap a towel around a kettlebell and hamburger bite that towel. No. Now that is pulling on the front teeth. And what I want people to know that that is not what I'm doing. I rolled up a surgical towel into a tube, looped it through the kettlebell handles. I bit one end in my molars on this side. One and a, none of my front teeth are involved. Because that would be like taking a fence post and just leaning back on the fence post and pulling on it. Yeah, these teeth are not designed for that. But the molar, molar is they're stacked in line with a line of pull and they're tubes. And they're very, my thing is if you... If you're holding on to whatever you're holding on to with your molars, if those molars come out, then sorry, they were going to come out anyway. And because I'm pulling about 88 pounds, the, you've seen guys pull trucks with their teeth, right? Yeah. I mean, I've seen them pull mat trucks. Mat trucks. Exactly. Right. Mat, not just like. You know, F one fifties like Mac. Bill, you ever see that guy? He went like this. There was a Mac truck behind him, and they had roped it around, and he bit it just like you did with your uh, molars, and like you said, like you know, working out your jaw 
how important that is, you know, overall, because then you can do these types of exercises that I think now that you're telling me about the kettlebell, I mean, shit, but I saw this guy with the truck, they wrapped him around and, you know, his legs were the size of Ronnie Coleman, but I don't care. I mean, the guy did it with his teeth and walked with the truck. He had to do it like 10 feet. I don't care if it was two feet, a mat truck, but that goes yeah. to prove your point that it's the form. You know, it's the form, just like you do in your training. It's form. And the, and the capacity of the jaw, I think for its size, the masseter is considered the strongest. If I'm not mistaken, I believe the masseter is considered the strongest, for its size, the strongest muscle in the human body. Um, and just so as, an, as a 54-year-old guy, if people want to know, they, it, I don't, it's not a stunt, and I'm not doing that to get a viral or for people. I I've been doing stuff like that for years and as an anti-aging strategy, you know, people, my age, younger and older, they start getting facelifts because you notice that people's cheekbones get, as people age, their faces start looking weak. And what happens is they start, they stop chewing things that are substantial. They start eating softer things, which causes this masseter to atrophy which now it, it's attached to the cheekbone and to the mandible. So when a muscle becomes weaker, the bones that it's anchored to are no longer receiving that stimulus, that force that the muscle exerts on the bony structure, which then gives the mu tells the, mus the bone to start to reduce and demineralize, especially as we get older, because it it takes resource and energy to maintain tissue, especially as we get older when we have less energy to spare to me. So I do stuff like that so that I am subjecting my masseters to enough force to justify keeping my cheekbones full, keeping my mandible full. Because you look at people, even strong men in their younger you'll notice their lower jaw mm -hmm. just kind of gets really weak looking. And then once this mandible shrinks, all the skin here waddles under the neck because it, if that skin doesn't reduce, just the bony mass and it's a significant... Yeah, so I, it makes sense because there's nothing to pull it back up. Yeah, there's nothing There's nothing holding it there. Yeah. What do, what do you do? It's not like you just woke up and did 60 pounds or 80 pounds like that. What are some exercises you do? Like, I could see how strong it is just by going, you went like that. <clears throat> That's impressive, man. Yeah. And girls like that too, but you're married. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. what are some exercises you do on a regular basis to build that up before you're at that point? Okay. Perfect. Okay. And, and um, so, and I have no, uh, I have no affiliation with this company. I've been using this product for years. Um, Okay, two things. First of all, let's, relevant to your podcast, Boss Rutan was talking about his O2 trainer. Mm -hmm. Okay, Boss Rutan, uh, just, he's a god to me. Nicest guy on the planet. Never meet Boss oh, I, I would, I, I'm not, I worked in Hollywood five years. I stood next to Seagal, Kurt Russell, Halle Berry, all the big people at the time, um, Nicolas Cage. I've stood, like I poked them in the eye close. And they're great people, but I don't get starstruck very easily. Boss Rutin, I would just, my, my, my legs would just shake and buckle if I ever was, okay. But that O2 trainer that he makes, that is money. That is money. And even though it might not be considered a jaw thing, 
when you put on that the little i think there's like 10 or 12 little attachments of the whole you know graduated hole size yeah but when i use like the second to the smallest hole and when you're pulling trying to pull that air through that o2 trainer on that i i i can go into like claustrophobic fits like literally where i pull it out and i'm having mental problems but that o2 trainer i can't recommend it more and i have no affiliation with boss except that i bought that product and he deserves all credit for it the other product uh, so you don't have to worry about lifting kettlebells with your teeth is something it's a company called jawser size they sell these rubber the little kind of rubber things that you can bite and chew on and you literally just hang and and you can literally if you go to the jawser size website or or look at them on instagram the i think it's the creator of it i think he's a He's got this jaw that you can clearly see that this thing works because there's genetic jaw. Uh, there's people that have just genetically, you know, prominent jaws, but this guy's jaw is just ridiculous. And it's clear, but I've used, I bought all the various resistance levels of it. And I actually, not only do I use it to, um, to train my jaw, you just got, if you're ADD or you're kind of like a tense person, like I can be, Chewing on that thing while you type or do whatever you're doing is better than any fidget spinner or little fidget device. You can see while you're, oh, it's relaxing. And also when I'm doing a heavy lift, there's lots of, uh, I think it's called a Mora mouthpiece. This is used by weightlifters, literally a mouthpiece. Here's how significant the jaw is. In powerlifting, it is illegal to put anything in your mouth, as far as I know, to put anything in your mouth that allows you to bite down on it because it gives you such an advantage oh. neuromuscularly when you are able to bite down on with something with your jaw it gives you such an advantage it's almost like like steroids or something so that's the connection of the jaw to not just your cosmetic appearance but your jaw and its health literally transcends way below your neckline into the rest of your body almost like legs right you know like a lot of people don't lift legs but they don't understand that when you do train legs it, it pushes the testosterone up throughout your body so would that be a good comparison it would be because people on some of the questions i get in my comments and my dms like hey what's the best way to get my i, I want to get my chest bigger i want to get my lats bigger what's the best way to do it i said keep doing whatever you're doing for your chest or your lats but start, for me, it's the barbell squat. The barbell squat. Because like you said, yeah. the, the response of the body to deadlifting and barbell squatting or squatting of any type is systemic. It's not a localized response. So if you want bigger chest, you want bigger back, you want bigger biceps, and you've kind of maxed out, say, your, your, your at least let's call it your genetic potential with just direct stimulation and, and, and training of those parts directly, Start working on your systemic response. Start making your legs stronger. Because like you said, the testosterone and growth hormone response that's required to recover the leg musculature, and usually leg training involves connecting your legs to some kind of resistant load through the rest of your body. Like when you put a barbell on your shoulders, I tell my clients, 
the whatever is between the weight you're lifting and the floor, that is what is being trained. So if I'm holding like in a suitcase squat, um, those weights are held rather low. Yeah, I can lift a lot in a suitcase deadlift or super suitcase squat. If you gave me that same weight and now I have to carry it up on my shoulders, it's much more difficult and or I have to reduce that. So um, yeah, uh, exactly. If you want to get bigger in upper body, start focusing on making your lower body bigger. And that almost always works. That jaw thing. I want to, I, I, I was just waiting to ask you about the jaw thing. I, I just, I was, I was just waiting for the right time to ask you about the jaw. And I just had, you know, I had your Instagram up and everything. And I said, okay, now's the time. So I think it's really important too. And actually, well, I am really, uh, I'm, I'm very excited by the response uh, in the comments to, uh, to that, to that video, because it clearly that's a big gaping hole in, 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 uh, strength training uh, Huge. protocols because it's apparently it's a very big void. So I'm going to jump on that in future videos because literally cosmetically it can save you from having to get these facelifts because if you're not training your jaw, you can be spending all this time and months <laughs> putting yourself at risk, getting these procedures that within months, as your face continues to atrophy, because you're still eating foie gras and pate and not chewing and, you know, really subjective because the people that can that can afford that kind of stuff, they tend to eat foods that don't really require a lot of chewing. They're not eating tough cuts of steak. Fuck no, they're they're, they're chewing. They're they're getting steak that they could cut with a pen. They could just take a little pen and go like this. <laughs> yeah, and you know, like eating like things like 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 soul and and things like that. So that's a great idea, Bill. Because the last time I heard about working the jaw when I was playing football, I was a really good running back. And I, you would have to work your neck and jaw. And I haven't heard about the, I haven't even, I haven't thought about it. Or maybe one time throughout the years about, you know, you could chew on something to make your jaw bone bigger when I was in high school because, you know, girls like the, because Brad Pitt, well, everybody wanted to fuck Brad Pitt and Johnny Depp. And Brad Pitt had that jaw, not got, I mean, you know, every girl wanted to be with them. And they had that jaw that made that movement. So they had come out with all kinds of gum and, and everything to chew. And you would see. I was just going to say, there's a gum. There's yeah. A gum out there that, yeah. And apparently it's, but to me, if you want, I mean, I'm sure that gum is great. But back in our day, when I was a little kid, remember bazooka gum? Yeah. It was called, oh, shit. You don't just get that old bazooka ass gum and start chewing. You'll get a freaking jaw workout. Like you, I thought I had some here. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah, but Wait. gum, it came in that wax wrapper. It's kind of like a little tile. Yep. And you just, I, I put one on each side. And go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the way, if you have anxiety, um, this is not scientific. This is just experiential from for me. Chewing on things. Like after I did that workout, I felt like I had smoked a joint without all this, this stupid psychoactive stuff. I just felt chill. I felt so relaxed. Um, people don't understand how much tension and psychic, whatever you call it, gets loaded into this jaw. And people with tinnitus, also, if you're a, a lot of surfers here, I have a lot, bunch of surfers, they'll come in with water stuck in their ear two, three days. We chain, train the jaw almost without fail. Pops it out. Boop. Boop. Pops it, yeah. <clears throat> Any pressure disorders in the ear, 
TMJ, that's all caused by underuse of the jaw. That's, I mean, like I said, I'm not a doctor, but in my experience, all of these jaw problems that people have come from, it's an atrophic disorder of the, the chewing muscle. Yeah, you should do that, Bill, because nobody talks about the that. Muscles of mastication. Yeah, nobody talks about that. Oh, neck, neck training, jaw and face training, grip and foot training and calf. I just, ah, just that. I don't really know or care that much about quads, hamstrings, glutes, abs, back. You know, I'm obsessed with the lateral, the, the obliques that was on each side. So I care less about six pack. Yeah. Because my thing is, if you train the obliques, you put your heart and soul into training the what's on on each side of the six pack, your six pack is going to look just so much better because that line that's going to form <laughs> vertically from training the obliques will really define the your six pack so you can stop doing all the sit-ups and crunches and leg raises those are great but people like how do i get that to really pop stop put half your training budget that you're putting into your six pack and all those sagittal plane flexion exercises and start stacking them and get obsessed with getting the side those oblique muscles i haven't done a crunch in 15 years <clears throat> not one crunch Right now, I, I have a I have a ripped eight pack, and you know I, I stopped doing crunches, and my friend had bet me I couldn't do a hundred pull ups in two weeks, so you know just like a man's bet. So I started doing pull ups. I could only do a couple. I had to do the knee thing. Long story short, I found that when I was doing that bullshit crunch or whatever, yeah, I had abs just because I was eating right. But when I started doing wide grip pull ups every day, fifty, hundred every day that's when i got the eight and if i have a good week and don't cheat too much at night there's 10 there and i don't do anything for abs nothing and i'm not a trainer so i you know i'm just the guy that does pull-ups and likes to be ripped and to pull ups do abs more than anything i've seen Ooh, cool tommy just real quick um, i'm going to shoot back to that you know the, the uh, how do i knew i had cancer um, and then we can get to talk about something real fun again. But uh, just so people know, if you start, if uh, when you go to the bathroom, um, you you just notice that uh, there's kind of a your the color of your whatever you see in the toilet is starting to look kind of um, weird, like dark, blackish or dark, real dark. Yeah, and yeah, that's and also. Sorry, without getting too gross. No, I think it's good because then people will go get checked, and, you know? Yeah, and that's why I'm, I'm, I'm going here. Is um, It's also going to start having a kind of, I can't, I can just say bloody undertone or smell, but it's going to be, there's going to be a consistently weird smell and look to what's in the toilet. Um, and that's an indicator. And just, the way I found out that oh, that I actually needed to go to the hospital quickly and get treated was I was holding a kicking shield for a client. And, you know, uh, part of the way I train people is I have them kick and punch heavy bags and shields. Not I'm not a martial arts instructor, but I do like people to be able to express power forcefully on different planes and, and practice speed, not just strength. And so I use kicking and punching and this. Plus, it's practical in case they ever have to use it. At least they've got experience with doing it. 
Um, so he, every time he was kicking me that night, I was like, God, that really hurts. I was thinking, oh, maybe I'm just tired or this guy's drank pre-workout or something. <laughs> and, but the next day I was, I, I went to work and I was really dizzy. I couldn't seem to wake up. And the first client I had, he said, bro, what is wrong, man? You look pale. And I said, I'm cool, man. It's just, I'm a little tired, but, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't, he said, no, man. And he, he, he knows my wife because I, I, all my train, all my clients, I've been working with them for years. So they're like my family. And um, she came and she looked at me. She's oh, you do look weird. So we went to the hospital and it turns out I was bleeding internally. Oh. But, but they're like, why are you bleeding though? That you should be, I said, why? I could be. Turns out when they scope, when they put me on an x-ray, they saw, they could see on an x-ray, you know, an x-ray it images bones pretty well. It's not supposed to see your intestines that well. The lesion, my cancerous lesion was so advanced, it showed up as black on the x-ray and that's soft tissue. And the ER doctor said, okay, man, you know what? What I'm looking at, this looks like an advanced colon cancer. It's called an apple core lesion. We need to get you in. And they put me at the front of the line. I, I have to give a shout out to Strop Clinic in Honolulu. They took really, they put me front and center. They got me in a surgery that had a, that, that section of my colon within a few days was removed a foot of it. And then uh, chemotherapy for six months. Oh. Um, so, but yeah, my, my, the, the reason I'm talking about, it, it's not the funnest conversation, but it, it's important though. You know, the, the recommendation used to be, uh, you know, like if you colonoscopy from age 50 and over, no, that's now, I think, I literally think it's been changed to age 40 because so many people in their forties, myself included, are getting it now that that 50 year old thing, that's way too late. So colonoscopies, you know, from your, your forties on, I heard, uh, you, I, you know who Michael Hearn is? Yeah. Yeah. He also, I didn't know this, but he, apparently in his family, and Mike and I are the same exact age, I believe. Yeah, we're both the same age. Um, and shout out to Michael Hearn. But uh, yeah, he also said in a, in a podcast that uh, because of the colon cancer risk that runs in his family, he, uh, uh, fortunately, he never had it like I did, but he's still at least wise enough to get himself to get colonoscopies, you know, from back then. And, and you know, so it was a good it's it's good thing for people to know that this stuff is no longer a fifty year old plus disease. This is it's it's just ravaging the forty year old population now. So it's good to know that. How often do you think, like say say forty and up? How often do you think somebody should go get checked? Um, well, you know, it's kind of hard. If assuming their insurance allows it, I would assume that. Uh, insurance would want you to test it to check it out once a year to me because you know a lot can happen especially from 40 and on a lot of cellular changes occur in just a few months so i would hope that i don't know like i said i don't know what the cell the because the, the reality is is uh, people are only going to get something like that if insurance pays for it so i hope if the insurance industry is listening to this that they might also if they're not doing it that they would at least from 40 maybe change things from instead of 50 because I know from 50 and on you get insurance benefit on colonoscopies and, and you know, that kind of, but I'm not quite sure if that's mainstream at age 40 yet. It should be. Well, whatever main, whatever mainstream says, I go the other way.
Whatever they tell me to do, I go the other way. So if I'm supposed to get it at 50, I'm going at 35. I don't trust them for two seconds. That's why I wanted to know from you what your opinion is, because to me, your opinion is more valuable than a PCP that I don't know if he's getting a kickback. I don't know who paid him off. Who the hell knows? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, honestly, if, if we want to really kind of split hairs a little, 35, age 35 and on, if you uh, ha, if, if you have it available, um, please, yeah, check it out. And I know it's hard because there's so many other things that you can worry about as well, right? I mean, death surrounds us. But um, I felt up until that point, I was bulletproof. I didn't think, I was shocked. When I was told I had, because my family, there's no history of cancer. My, my parents, my grandparents, my uncles, nobody really had this. So, but then at the same time, I didn't feel too sorry for myself because based on uh, my diet and, uh, you know, we're talking about all the freaking chemicals I took. Um, but yeah. And just so you know, since we're on the, t uh, since I brought up the topic of chemicals, you know, a, a question that shows up on my DMs a lot. And I know a lot of times on podcasts, especially, you know, who liver King is. Yeah. Yeah. I know who is. Okay, right. He's all he's all over um, YouTube and social media for you know apparently not being forthcoming about his drug use. So I saw the apology. <clears throat> I saw the apology thing. Uh... And, <laughs> yeah, and um, so and there's not a week that goes by where I get you know DMs and um, comments, and they're very polite. They're respectful and polite comments. But these people are asking me, hey, man, are you on PEDs? Are you on HRT or TRT? And I have not, not only do I not use that, I have never, ever, when I was living in Venice, when I was in my 20s, um, never have I ever used any steroid um, or PED. I've taken a lot of illegal street drugs, you know, just recreation stuff <laughs> that we just discussed. Um, but... Honestly, muscle never meant that much to me. So, and I am, as, as we speak now, I'm 54. Um, yeah, just when I started doing all the social media stuff from, you know, when we locked down in 2020 till now, it's just been two years, I feel a difference in my body. I feel, you know, it's, it's a, it, I, I have a little more inflammation now than I used to two years ago. Um, I have more joint restriction, especially in my knees now than i used to so um and i have i'm more tired throughout the day you know and i believe my testosterone levels are starting to subside i'm, I'm a person just like everybody else and um I, i'm 195 whereas when i had cancer i was 210 and that's with cancer and chemotherapy and i easily held on to 210 pounds and i didn't look much different than i do now um, but now it's all I can do to hold on to 195. Apparently, as your testosterone goes down and sarcopenia takes over, you know, you lose muscle. So, um, but yeah, I, I just want anyone that's listening to this that's wondering because that's always because people wonder, well, maybe you got cancer because you're on roids. And no, that's I got cancer from everything but roids. <laughs> they told my mother was from uh, eating too much red meat. They said, uh, she had because she would every every single night it was steak and pasta and they had told her that uh okay. and they they were at the time i was really well off you know my family was as well and and these were like special doctors believe it or not they flew in from china 
they were top-notch guys. They they needed a uh, they needed this one surgeon at University of Pennsylvania, and they flew him in from China. Uh, he was like the best because it was so big. Like the, the the colon cancer was hitting so many nerves. You know, we wanted the best of the best in, and big one. and and he had told her stop eating red meat. You know, you want to eat red meat, you know, on the weekends when you go out with your friends, but not every night. This woman that lasted about six months. <laughs> and I said, Oh yeah. You know, and I would bitch at her and be like, mom, he told you not to. But then I, I said, you know what? Do whatever you want. You know, you live this life once. Right. If that makes you happy, yeah. eat your steak, you know, but that's what they had told her oddly enough. Mm. I'm so conflicted, you know, because this carnivore diet, is all over the internet now, right? I mean, everything is carnivore diet. And and I hear of I mean, some very trusted people, I believe Andrew Huberman, I hope I'm not misquoting him, but um, people that are quite trusted and, and credible in the uh, internet and social media communities, you hear a lot of them speaking of the benefits of carnivore yeah. diets, like only meat, meat and water, no vegetables, meat, water that's it uh maybe coffee black coffee um and and i'm i've always you know my mom was meat was just a thing man i'm to this day i my diet is not disciplined at all i don't really follow any i just eat kind of normally like in hawaii we enjoy food and we eat macaroni salad we eat lots of white rice we you know i mean we eat chinese noodles and all kinds of carbs and no, I, I think I, I've always thought, and, uh, you know, when, when I have, because this Zooms, you know, sometimes it gets hard, but, and you, you'll understand why when I talk to you again, but <clears throat> I had always thought that everything in moderation is fine. You know, like, and I always thought that this whole carb thing and protein thing, and then I had met uh, Bill Phillips, who owned EAS, and I met some other guys that own companies. And I was in a situation with the whole MLB players and all this other stuff. And you know what was in that that uh, protein shake? It was like to cook a cake. So chocolate, there was no protein in there. It was actually cake mix. And when you look on the back of all those labels, as I know you know, these statements have not been approved by the Food and Drug Administration, and this has not yeah, been uh, to diagnose, cure, or prevent any disease. So when you go in there to get a supplement, it could be anything. It could be anything. And all of EAS products, I think it was 2004, all of their protein shake, it was all cake, like batter mix. All of them were. None of them were protein except for uh, Optimum Nutrition. That was the only one out of 50 that they had tested. So Interesting you say that. You remember, I'm sorry, you remember uh, something called Metrex or Metrex? Metrex, yeah. There was a Metrex, right? Yeah. Damn, I sucked down tubs full of that stuff. I actually worked for Metrex or Metrex, um, you know, they're in Costa Mesa. I, they opened a store in Venice, right in Venice on Main Street. I worked in that thing as soon when it opened. That's how I was into that. But it always literally had the consistency and it tasted like cake mix. That's what it was. That's what I tell my wife. I'm all good. And I said, it's so great. I, I get to eat cake mix and, and, but then it started making me very bloated and my face got all, yeah, so I, I stopped. But if you don't know and you want to get big and you keep, and you're actually drinking cake mix, you're going to get jacked and you're going to be like, whoa, this EAS stuff, you know, because back in, 
you know, late nineties and early two thousand, at least for me, it was all about being jacked, you know, jacked and big. And then a little bit later it got more, you know, the rip thing was in because it was when Ronnie Coleman was killing everything. He was just everywhere. Whether you like bodybuilding or not, you, you looked at Ronnie Coleman, you know what I mean? And, uh, and that's how it was. And it was crazy. So, uh, with what you had said, you know, like, look at you, I mean, and you're eating pasta, you're eating rice, you're just eating moderately from what it sounds like. And look at you. So I personally think from my experience, having been in a situation with all that, I think it's just all marketing bullshit. You know, I, 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 I've never really gotten caught up in any of that. I've always eaten just whatever the fuck I want to. Um, I eat Halloween candy when it's Halloween and, you know, Christmas time, I'm going to be drinking eggnog and whatever. But my thing is, um, I never, I've, I've always, uh, well, I started this maybe later, but I only eat till I'm not hungry. I never eat till I'm full. That's just one thing that's always been helpful to me. I never, because when I was younger, I would st like, you know, bodybuilding years when I was living in, in my 20s in, in L.A., Oh, I was eating for just like for mass, you know, and you eat until you almost throw up and then you eat more later. Yeah. And yes, I was big. I think the biggest I ever got was 220. Could never get any heavier than that. But that was pretty big for me at the time. And um, it's like, what'd you eat yesterday? Now, you know like when you got up yesterday, what'd you like? Take me through your entire day yesterday. Like what you eat? Okay. Workout. So I'm very whole, curious. When I, when I, um, Oh, yesterday was an interesting day because I had a, I had ten hours of clients lined up yesterday. Bad day, um, bad day to ask that question for. On a normal day when you don't have anything, you know, just the normal stuff, and you're going through your routine. So let's go with today. Um, today was a slightly more normal schedule. Uh, I always wake up when I, I wake up at about four thirty or five a.m. because I always have a client at six thirty. Um, and the first thing I have in the morning is a packet of exogenous ketones. It's a product made by a company called Prove It. Um, it's spelled P-R-U with two dots over the U, V-I-T. And what's ketones? And exogenous ketones. Ketones are when the body uses fat, when it, when it breaks down fat, uh, to be used as a fuel ketones apparently are the result of that process uh i'm probably wrong maybe i'm making shit up but <laughs> do they call it keto ketogenesis or whatever um and by the way when i say that i i use exogenous ketones i am in no way ketogenic i mean because what i'm going to tell you i ate after that is very not ketogenic um <laughs> But I always start with these ketone. I've been doing this for oh, three years now. I, I have that packet because it has a little bit of caffeine and the ketones, I use them as a nootropic or a little as a brain fuel. Um, they, number one, I, they wake me up without the caffeinated or stimulating effect. And when I say there's caffeine in it, it's just enough caffeine to potentiate whatever the ketones are supposed to do. And I've read a little research on it. Apparently that, that is true. So it's not just, you know, uh, a caffeine drink that's dis disguised as a ketone drink uh, because I've, I've done plenty of caffeine things and cap. Yeah. So I, I take that. 
And then um, I'll have a, a cup of coffee. It's either black coffee or, and if I put something in it, I will put whipped cream, like <laughs> just whipping cream. I pour, not whipped cream on top, but I pour heavy cream into the coffee. Hmm. Um, and then I go to work and I just, so I have a little thing of, like, hello. <laughs> What's up, buddy? Good morning. Dogs are the best. Yeah, this is chilly. She's, she's been sleeping on my lap for the last hour. <laughs> is asleep right now she loves you heavy she loves you and she wants to be in the spotlight with you yeah she well i took her bed away i was under her under this desk in front of me there's usually a, a bed and i took it home to clean it and i didn't bring it back so today i'm the bed and it's my <laughs> but anyway okay so then i have i have the um a uh, cup of coffee after the ketones and then i come to work and i just drink uh, a lot of water in fact this is just an old whole foods instant coffee jar and I just drink that until, I don't know, a couple hours. And then I'll have, um, uh, I eat almonds and I eat coconut. And I know I just said that didn't, I'm not keto, but that's, uh, that. then I will follow up after that. I, I go to this place called Rainbow Drive-In that's right across. And I order what's called a loco moco. I don't know if you've seen my videos on that, but it's, a, it's a Hawaii thing where it's two scoops of white rice, two hamburger patties, I have uh, two eggs, gravy, and I order two extra eggs and I add green onions to that. So I pay a little extra for it. But, and, and macaroni salad. Oh, okay. And it's just macaroni. Yeah. And so all of that is on one plate. I cut the hamburger patties up and I just mix it into the, just this mush. And I just pound that. And that's probably, oh, end of the day, we're easily 2,000 calories. I was just going to say, yeah. But that, but, but that carries me for hours. So I will eat what looks like hard. And um, also had a, a, a slice of cheesecake from the Cheesecake Factory. Um, so it seems like, wow, look at all that sugar and carbs that, but then I will go for hours. Like I, pro I next thing I'm going to eat it will be dinner tonight. So I load up on something really big, but then I just go and I go and I go and I go. So by the time I'm out doing my workout, I'm kind of empty. You know, I'm, I'm and I'm, I feel like I'm burning fat a little bit. I, I also just naturally have always had a faster metabolism. Um, that hasn't changed much from when I was a teenager, you know. I, I don't hold as much muscle mass. I'm not as strong or as fast as I used to be, but I, I can still process food. Even after having a foot of my colon removed, um, I still am able to kind of process food uh, in a way that, yeah, food doesn't sit in me. When I eat it, I also have this mindset that, that food is fuel. Mm -hmm. I mean, I try to enjoy what I eat. Yeah, that, that loco moco thing is good, but I have to be in the mood for it. There's a, your body tells you, like, have you ever had a, like you, you're hungry in a certain way where you want to get a triple Whopper with cheese yeah. and fries and a shake and you actually get all that food. And even despite what all the books and all the experts say, you eat that and you feel right. You feel like it's, it's because people don't listen to their instinct. You have an instinct. We now, because everything's so easy, we don't listen to it. 
But when you do listen to it, when the body's craving that pizza or burger, like you said, there's a reason. When it, the instinct is telling you to do something, there's a reason. Right. Like, if you were to give me another, uh, uh, if you were to offer me a piece of cheesecake right now, I would. there's nothing in me that would want to eat that. But this morning when I had that cheesecake, I was like, okay, this is what I need right now. Um, when I ate that local moco, I was ready for it. I'd been eating nuts and drinking coffee for two, three hours. And I have, I wanted to be ready for this podcast and be sharp. Um, so I need high density food and salad is not going to do that for me. Nope. Um, eating clean, as people call it, that doesn't work for me. I need density. I need fat. I need sugar. And I need non-lean meats um, in order for me to function properly and if that ends up shortening my life on the back end. I'm not going to second guess what those years would have been like. I'd rather live, be very sharp and functional now when to me it counts than be uh, 98 years old. And okay, I'm 98 years old, but I'm big deal. You know, I suffered all my life so I can make it to 98. And now I'm bored as shit. And yeah. probably still my life suck anyway. So yeah, you're gonna eat like a rabbit till you're 98, and wish you, you know, and then then the day comes, and you're like, wow, now I'm now I'm gonna have ice cream when I have six months left, right? <laughs> yeah, this ain't this isn't be 98 isn't as great as I thought it'd be, and I really regret like you know, all those killer meals that I gave up just to be here, and all my friends are dead, and even my kids have died, and like you know, a lot of people they outlive their kids, and then then what, right? So. No, there's more to life than life, I think. I'm not trying to send the wrong message, but I do try to tell my clients as well. Like, they'll tell me, man, I fucked up last man. I had a... I said, well, why did you eat pizza or why did you eat cake? Well, you know, my, my kid came into town and I'm like, well, then fucking eat cake. Your kid, you haven't seen your kid in like six months. You haven't seen your, your, your friend in a year or 10 years, a college buddy. Who cares if you drank eight beers with them? You're not doing that every night. Live a little. Yeah. Yeah. So, what do you think about the? uh What do you think about the thing? You know, like all our lives, or at least all my life, I always heard, you know, and I do it, you know, and I don't. That's why I want to ask you about if you're going to do cardio, always do it on an empty stomach, like in the morning or whenever you would do it. What? What? What's your thoughts on that? You know. If you also have an extreme metabolism. That. What's that? Yeah, that's why you see. That's why you can see. I'm trying to frame my answer properly yeah. because, okay, if you're a person who is struggling with more body fat than they would like to have, and your metabolism is not as accommodating of a looser diet as is mine, um, there seems to be a lot of merit to that. You know, uh, was it fasted cardio? I hear Joe Rogan talking about that a good amount, but then I think Joe Rogan's also discussed that, you know, he has to kind of do that in order to keep himself, his body fat levels in check. Um, that for me has never really worked that well because by the time I'm up in the morning, I'm pretty, I am empty and the types of cardio I do are jump rope and I and with with jumping rope and I use heavy ropes. I use ropes that weigh between one to five pounds. Wow. So to me, but in order for me, in order to me uh, with jumping rope, 
and with weightlifting, I, I am much more focused and obsessed with the landing and the deceleration of what I'm doing mm. than the, like when I, when I squat, when I barbell squat, how I look, the eccentric, how I lower myself is 90% of what I'm doing. Standing up out of that, if I, if I do the lowering, if I do the eccentric portion properly, then the concentric or the positive, that takes care of itself. So jumping rope when I'm hungry is going to affect how well and how symmetrically I can absorb the shock of that activity or running for that matter. So for me, I would rather be loaded up and I can eat like that loco moco. I can eat that and literally put on shoes and take a, a slow run of many miles. And I am not going to throw up. It's not going to be a problem for me. I've, I've been, I have exercised full of food my entire life. In fact, I used to pride myself on eating huge meals. And then this is, I've, I've said this on other, I have this weird concept. I call it the AK-47. Meaning you can give me any fuel. It could be freaking, you know, one of those things called peeps. You know, those disgusting little chickens that they eat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether, if that's the only thing I, if that's the only thing you have is peeps and lifesavers, and that's the only thing you got, you should still be able to eat that. And that's going to fuel your workout. It's all in the mind. AK-47, you can put, you can put ammunition that was made, um, during the Korean War, or you can take brand new stuff now, mix it up. Some of it is rusted. Some of it has Elmer's glue on it. And you just fire off all those rounds. So that's kind of my mentality towards food is I don't, because what I found is in real life, you don't have control over your diet. At least I don't. Uh, unless you never leave your home or you obsess to the point where your life sucks. Like if you're traveling and like everything has to be measured out and then TSA confiscates all your shit. Now what are you going to do? And they're only giving you cookies and pretzels on the airplane. And then, you know, I'm not going to eat that because it's not. Are you going to starve for three hours? Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, and you start catabolizing yourself. And my thing is you should be able, and this is just me. I am not advocating this to others, but my attitude is life is not perfect. Training conditions are not perfect. Dietary conditions are not perfect. Mindset is not always going to be. None of those things are ever are always, you know, synced up. And that's just life. So my thing is I should be able to eat whatever is available in whatever country I'm in. And, it, it, and who cares what the research says on it? Burn it up. And I agree. Not, just don't eat too much of it. I agree. And I always thought, you know, like, I think if you're heavier and you would, you know, you would know better, but if you're heavy and you're trying to lose weight, then maybe in the morning on an empty stomach would be good. But if you're already at where you would want to be just, you know, if you just like use your head, you would think, well, it would be better to run after you eat because then you would burn it off. I mean, that's, that's my thing is as that <laughs> sugar starts entering my blood, yeah, I'm going to start using that sugar as my fuel. And then it's because out. Otherwise, um, like I said, I, I feel like the times I have worked, I've, I've tried inter intermittent fasting and then the, my workouts were very low horsepower. I mean, I, I, to the point where I felt like 
there's a I'm increasing my risk of injury. Yeah. Because I am not locked into my 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 muscularity. I'm not locked into my system. There's always this hungry, hungry, hungry thing going on in the background. And that's distracting. It's, 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 so for me, working out fasted, either cardio or strength training, that is not what I do. I tried it, um, and it just does not work for me. And it has not affected my body fat levels uh, to, to, to do otherwise. I mean, I've never stretched a day in my life. Oh, I'm sorry. I, no, I was saying I, I've never stretched a day in my life. And I, I boxed, I played football, golden gloves, everything. I never stretched a day in my life to this day. What do you think about stretching? But I also never went heavy because I see the, the, the big guys in the gym with a gazillion pounds. And, you know, within a year, you know, they needed rotator cuff surgery, whatever. And I was, I'm five nine, man. If I got 200 pounds, I looked like a fat midget at 200. Even if I took my shirt off, at 210, at 5'9", and I'm shredded and ripped, well, 95% of the time I'm going to have a shirt on and I'm going to look like a fat midget. Sure. So I had no intention of, of hurting myself and walking around all I I mean, I tried it for a minute or two. Every kid does. But, you know, oh, I benched this. I always went super, super light because I just wanted the lean look. Mm -hmm. My brother, had, the asshole, he, he had gotten into men's health. So it was always a thing between him and I. He was two years older okay. and he had better abs than me. Okay. So he and I used to go at okay. it, but you know, I always went light and I never stretched. So I, I, I'd like to hear what your thoughts are on that. I, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because, um, weightlifting is not, I realized now that as I talk to more people about this and I'm answering more questions, I'm not a weightlifter. I, I, or I don't look at what I do as weightlifting. I look at what I do as loaded stretching. So like you, I'm not, uh, I've done videos where I have, you'll see me stretching. Um, and those are usually days, not necessarily that I need to stretch, but that's all I either have time to do, or that's all the energy I have to do. Because not all my videos are working out with kettlebells and swinging things and lifting yeah. with my teeth. And some days I'm just going to do a pigeon pose stretch or a lunge stretch. But in general, I do not stretch every day. In fact, the only times you that I actually stretch are if you see a video of me stretching. And that's once every 10 to 15 days. It almost looked like to me in those videos like you were doing calisthenics. It almost looked more like me... Maybe you, like you said you were stretching, but to me when I was watching it, it almost looked like you were doing calisthenics, you know, like calisthenics. That's what I thought you were doing. Yeah. Um, and even when I squat uh, or when I press, like when I push a weight overhead, I'm going to push that thing till I feel like this side of my body stretching. And um, yeah, just when I, when I, when I, so the few times that I bench press, I'm going for the biggest stretch that I can get in this area. I'm feeling the stretch. I'm not, that's why you'll never really see me. Number one, I don't, in my home, I only have like, I can, my dumbbells only go up to, go up to 90 pounds. And that's plenty for me. That'll always be plenty of weight. At my age, a 90 pound dumbbell press, it's plenty. That's a ton of weight for me. 
Um, but my best reps usually come in the 60, 70 pounds where I, I can get, feel that stretch. I don't ever want to feel like I'm being crushed by any load that I'm lifting. It should feel like it's stretching. It's not threatening my joint. So at the, at, at the end range of motion, I don't ever want to feel like my joints are going to pop or rip. It still feels comfortable. It should be redundant. Yeah. So I, the load I'm using, I should have enough redundant Oh, you took a pee on the... <laughs> what are you going to do? All right. But anyway, um, yeah, I, 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 that's why I, on all of my videos, you know, sometimes people say, wow, what a beast. Or, You're so strong. I'm like, um, actually, there's tons and tons of guys on Instagram and TikTok that are way stronger than me. I tell them, you know, you guys, uh, thank you. I appreciate that. But I am not. I appreciate that a lot, but I'm not. You know, I'm not strong and I'm also not maxing. I don't really max anything. I'll, I keep my reps low. I never do any set to failure. Um, and to me, I'd rather use the lightest. Uh, I'm actually more personally, you know, there's people that like to see what's the most value they can get in the store, mm -hmm. with the least amount of money, or like there's guys that take pride and go into the car dealership and working and working and working that deal until they get that dealer like the guy's making the half a percent commission or whatever and he's, he just does it to get ready to... <laughs> yeah so to me you know there's guys that it's common in weightlifting to for to, for the, the the emphasis to be on look how much i can lift my thing is i like to see how much effect and how much return i can get on the least amount of weight, how I can change my leverage factors or, or compromise the base that I'm using. So instead of standing with my feet side by side, I'm standing in a split stance or, you know, I'm not into the stand on Bosu ball and all the circus stuff. I mean, that's, I don't, because that's not in my home. That's not, you know, um, but I do like to see what is actually the most, how, heavy i can make a light weight or how i can make the lightest weight affect me in the heaviest way so what, that's why i move slowly and that's why i'll tend to go into a deeper range of motion than i actually need to so i'm taking care of the stretching and the mobility uh component and um and i'm also i can come back the next day and continue to if i if i go too heavy on things or whatever then yeah, now I gotta I gotta wait two three days to recover and and that's not the that's not the point of my thing is I I need to be able to come back every day. I'm with you. Can you give us all all of us uh, watching listening uh, some tips on uh, split? I seen you do a quite a hell of a split for someone who can't do a split at all. What are some tips if you want to be be able to go up to one of your boys and be like, hey, bet you can't do this. How do you how do you learn to do a split without ripping your leg apart? You know, um, I have I don't know if this is scientific at all, but I I think I read this from was it a guy that wrote a book called Scientific Stretching, and he on the cover he's doing a side split between two chairs. I bought this book a long time ago, and he presented I believe it was this guy I forget his name, but he presented the concept of. In order to stretch to a, to, to achieve a certain type of a movement, 
your body first has to trust that you're strong enough to return from that movement. And mm. I kind of took that to heart. So rather than just kind of tugging on forcing your legs out to the side in a side split or something, um, I got whatever was 100% of my side split, I would go to about 80% of that range of motion and just see if I could do like a very wide stance squat or I don't know what the name for it is. Um, there's something called an archer push-up where you kind of go real wide and you push over to one arm and you push over. So whatever the leg version, maybe they call it a side lunge. I, I use a side split. Sorry. Okay. I, I I use the side split as kind of, because that's the one that, you know, back in Jean-Claude Van Damme days, that was the cool looking split. So my thing is, that's why I like to, sometimes I'll take wider stances and see how deep I can slowly squat or deadlift from those positions. Um, I treat stretching in extreme ranges of motion as just, strengthening myself and i'm not a big believer in just kind of like having friends push on you and that that because that's like treating your body like an elastic waistband like it's an inanimate piece of rubber that if you just push it enough that it'll just somehow retain that the ability for a muscle to elongate is neuromuscular it's actually how the brain is communicating with that muscle like you heard this thing, like if you kind of put someone under general anesthesia, and this is a controversial thing, but we do know that like when you give people, let's go to MDMA and mushrooms and things like people who are kind of, they've studied this yeah. people that tend to be kind of tight on their toe touch, relaxes them. alcohol mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, same guy. Yeah, and there's, you know, and you know, there's a lot of people that think that they have genetically short tendons, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. That there's literally a physical barrier in mm -hmm. their genetic makeup that prevents them from doing a toe touch, but it's actually how the brain is communicating to the the the, the muscles. So, yeah, I I feel like just strengthening over time uh, yourself into these exaggerated range of motions. Like I will do deep lunges with my feet split way farther than they need to be, and I will. I will lunge from those with light loads. I'll usually hold a kettlebell here or I'll hold the bottom, also static positioning. So um, oftentimes when people lunge, they just kind of lunge and then they come back up. There's some videos that I posted where I'll take a long lunge stance. I will go in, I'll enter that stance till my the knee that's behind me is about an inch from the ground. And then I'll orbit a kettlebell slowly in one direction pause, and then slowly in the other direction, pause, and then come up. So that's another way of building strength in the range of motion. It's not repping. It's because what is a lot of stretches tend to be static in their nature. That makes sense to me because what, what, what I'm getting from you is that when you go to, the, let's just say split or a lunge, because I saw that lunge and some of those, Bill, <laughs> But what you're saying is is that the brain is firing down. It's you know the core or uh, probably the A1 receptor, whichever receptor. It's firing down, and as a protective mechanism, it's not going to let you go down all the way. And if you do, you're going to hurt yourself. 
So your brain has to fire down with confidence just to make it simple that you're capable of doing it and then you can do it over time. Right. Uh, and then, and, 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 go ahead. I'm sorry. So I guess what, uh, I guess to try to uh, sort in, to, to give the gist of what I feel is a lot of, uh, in Western strength training, you know, like in the Kung Fu movies, you see them holding the buckets of water they're in the horse stance for an hour and they're holding buckets of water out to the side. The ability to hold the bottom position of a movement or in the case of a pull up the top position and lock that in, I feel like that has a lot to do with the ability to stretch mm. because yeah. you know we don't just drop into a side split or drop into a front split. We kind of work our way into there. But if you lack the static capacity in terms of endurance to actually spend the time to get to the stretch if your muscles tired by the time you're even in that range of motion it's going to be very reluctant to elongate or release you to that because like i said if it doesn't trust that you can come back safely from that range of motion your body's going to protect you by not by inhibiting the elongation of the muscle and letting you actually get there so when people, a lot of the stuff I do, and I don't really post these videos too much because they're rather boring, but I will sometimes hold a squat. Actually, one of my more popular videos, I was shocked by this, was when I was holding, I, I dropped down into a kind of a wider stance squat. And once again, I like to use that orbit movement with the lunges and the squats because it takes, if I'm doing it properly, it takes a pretty long time for me to go both directions and it's a circumductive stimulus for the midsection. So I'm getting a lot of things done. I'm, I, rather than just holding a horse stance, which just sucks, and it's rather a waste of time Boring. to just do there when Boring. you can have something that's kind of like bending you in a, like, like a joystick controller. Yeah, like challenging too. Conditioning your midsection. Yeah, and strengthening your midsection through 360 degrees of a circumduction. That to me is a nice way of both training the legs for static stretching or exaggerated range of motion. Um, and then also getting the core or something. And plus it just looks cooler on a video. So, um, you know, now Tommy, I'm so sorry. I, 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 we have about, we could go about 10 more minutes. I do have an appointment. At no, I know you do. I know you do. So I was going to skip, but yeah. Okay. So I, 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 I'd like you to fly in uh, next year and, and really have a, a real good one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, I wanted to ask you when, uh, and then I want to talk about all the great things that you have real quick. And believe me, we'll get it done in 10 minutes. Because guys like us, we have drive and we get shit done. When a woman comes to you and you are training a woman, what are some of the things with women you start them off with uh, you know, to condition them better, so on and so forth. With, you know, honestly, unless they come to me with a specific, either they have a limitation or a somewhat specific goal. And just so you know, the majority of the, the women and the female clients that I have they tend to be about my age. So I'm talking about people from 40 into well into the like 70s. Awesome. Now, I don't have a lot of young. Yeah. Um, and if they say uh, if they don't have any pelvic floor issues or whatever, I tend to treat them not that much different from the guys. Huh. Um, I'm a big advocate of 
the basics because life tends to treat, you know, like uh, this is a, I don't know if this is the right example, but you know, when the, I use this example a lot, you know, when the, when the twin towers came down mm-hmm. um, and I, I use that cause I was recently in New York and I, I just, I love that city. But on that day, when those towers came down, you recall footage of huge clouds of dust coming. It was, it was like some, some movie where you could see the clouds of dust and hundreds of people. Yeah, you could build every one and you, it was like chasing them. Right? Yeah. This, this, it was like watching a Godzilla movie. And every, it didn't matter. You had every race, every age, every body type life treats men and women in that situation the same it does not discriminate it doesn't care if you had a c-section it doesn't care if you just had prostate surgery you you're gonna haul ass the same way so that's kind of my thing unless you tell me you got some i like to prepare my clients a a lot of trainers do this for just real life if you're not playing soccer or you don't you don't have a specific you're not training for a 10k or the triathlon i'm going to teach you to squat the first thing i'm going to establish is i want that squat hmm. i want a pain-free squat and that's what I, I i to me i want to take a garment that everyone should wear and then i will custom fit it to that person's body type and the capacities that they have or any limitations they have why start with the squat though why why start with the squat because it tells me a lot about how other things, because like a lot of times people can't squat. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of points me at, okay, let's take a look at maybe an uh, a RD. I'll say like there's a knee, something going on with the knee. Um, then maybe we'll kind of look for something where we're not going into so much. Because uh, a lot of people can't actually squat initially, or the pattern they're using in the squat might need to be modified. Um, but it's a high horsepower movement. Um, oh, it's a good question you asked about the squat. I also, that used to be kind of like my more basic approach. I actually want to see more how people, not so much lunge, but just how they split stance themselves. Because that reveals a lot of asymmetries that the squat hides. So I'll let's just take, take a big step backwards. And number one, can you just hold your balance with your heel off, your back heel off the floor? I want to see if you can just do that. And then if that's okay, then let's see what the other side looks like. And almost every time that not only is there a big difference from me, what they feel the difference. Whereas when I just have them drop into a squat, especially if it's a wider stance squat, things look pretty good there. But I found that a split stance or what's called a lunge will reveal to me quickly without too much risk to them what we need to work on. Because, yeah, I, I'm huge on symmetry. Symmetry, I, yeah. I don't care. How so everything's balanced out. Not strength and length, front to back and side to side. That, to me, is first to everything. And um, since we're kind of uh, it, the concept that I am huge on, if people oftentimes I get questions like how do I, I haven't exercised in years or I have a shoulder problem. My right shoulder always goes out on me or whatever my lower back. How do I fix it? What's the best exercise? My answer to them is the best exercise is ambidexterity training for ambidexterity. And, and explain again what ambidexterity is, please. 
Ambidexterity is just, if you are, if you consider yourself right hand dominant, start making everything you do with your, start reaching out for things. Because people have no idea how all the gravity from this planet enters through the right side of their body. And the rotational patterns now become super strong rotation on one side. And, and what that ends up doing is it starts putting, you know how you heard, oh, the chiropractors or the massage therapists will say, oh, you have a twisted torsioned pelvis with a slight, you know, elevation of, that all comes from being dominant on one side. And I hate being dominant. To me, I want you to be confused on which is your right hand because you're so capable with both of them. If you're a right-handed person, it's very likely yeah. that every time you walk up to a sidewalk or you approach a staircase, it's very likely that you're going to step up with your right leg. And, <clears throat> and I always do. When you're 30 years old, you've done that thousands and stuff. Mm -hmm. And start, and, and when I tell people, the next time you get to a sidewalk or a staircase, always, if it's safe to do so, See if you see if you can step up with your left. I'm going to start doing that. That's great advice, Bill. That is great advice so that everything is equal because you're not always going for the right. It's, you don't even know which one to go for because they're equal. That's great advice, Bill. Right. It really is. Um, that to me, if, if there's something, if people, because I like to, to, to try and send people off with ways, not just because I only have an hour with my clients. And that's really, if we're, if we're being honest, that's really not going to make that much of a difference. If all they do is train for me with an hour and there's no follow-up thing that they're doing. I need people training 24, when they are awake and on their feet, if there's one exercise or a concept that I suggest will make the biggest difference besides proper breathing, uh, and that's, we can talk about that later, but is ambidexterity, you know, reaching, reach with your left. Pick something up. Turn the faucet. I don't care how awkward that is. Turn faucets on with your left hand. Open doors with your left hand. And just feel how weird that is. I'm really going to do that. And I'm going to start working the hell out of my jaw. I'm going to start working the hell out of my jaw and uh, using the other hand. You should come out with a, a jaw chew thing. Like you should invent one. You know, uh, I mean, you're blowing up. You know, I, I know your daughter helped you get... On TikTok, and you got a million. You better give her a little bit of a cut, but then you challenge her with the the cupcake thing. <laughs> but I know you got to go, and I want to make sure we promote your your. Um, if people want information and the products and the and the supplements that I personally use, the link tree that is on the link tree link that is on my Instagram and on my TikTok. Yep, have it up right so now. Everything that is there, everything that is there. I make a tiny commission if people buy any of those items and the risk to my reputation, just even if I was nobody, if I had none of the followers that I have, the risk to my reputation of, of putting shit or bullshit on, on my link tree is certainly not worth the pennies or the few dollars I make when people purchase things through those links. Those are things I truly believe in. I truly like them and they benefit me and my clients and my family to the, to the max. Okay. So yeah, you have uh, uh, Xanrathrosin use code bill M A E D A get $5 off grip assistance, Hampton weight plates. I, yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I've been using the Hampton weight plates for 20 years. I, there's other companies that are out there that are great. If you like them, go get those, but those are what I use.
And we got your YouTube up. Oh, you got more. Yeah. Well, you got breathing one too. My YouTube is on. on what I, yeah. yeah. Um, my YouTube is also. I'm, I'm going to start developing that. I don't really emphasize my YouTube too much. It, I mean, it just it grows um, because I put my shorts up there. But it's the same shorts that are on Instagram and TikTok. Excellent. So, um, but I'm going to start doing more longer form. So I'm going to start building my YouTube up more this year and this upcoming year. But right now, most of my that what's worth um, anything that I'm doing is on my Instagram first, and then TikTok is yeah. But they're kind of similar content. Most of like if people want to contact me, uh, most everything I'm doing is right now through Instagram. And um, like I said, my website is just there. We're gonna start putting more stuff on that later. But right now, it's dormant. So forget that sure and and if, if if i can promote one thing to people it's uh and, and i don't want to sound like just one is yeah but to actually you know all the time that they spend watching and this is a great podcast and they should watch this podcast but i still am a huge huge advocate of people spending time with people get off the phone as, as the world moves forward yes off the phone off the devices off of get off of my channel I mean, if you want to watch one of my videos, I, that's why I try to keep them short, get a little inspiration, and then go outside and start making your own videos. Make your own exercise videos. Watch or listen to mine for three hours when you're on a treadmill or working out or on a car ride. I hate that phone. Yeah. Yeah. Long form content like those. If you're on a, if you're on a, you know, if it's safe to do so, you're on a treadmill. You're doing, yeah. I love listening to podcasts when I'm doing a long run or if I'm just doing kind of something that, yeah, but I really want people, I hope that people spend time with, uh, if you don't have family, a lot of people say they don't or don't have that. Friends, community groups, just interact with people and get out. Try not to do it online. You know, try to experience life. People to pe I, I, I'm just. The I, earth, that's the sky. If, you, if, if there's no person, then then if, they, if you don't have anyone that you want to do that with, then, then re then uh, re-engage with your planet. Go for a walk outside. Yeah, get in touch with the universe. That, that's what's missing. People are not in touch with the universe and plants and an animals and earth. You know, it's all this, what you have and what I have and this and that. And yeah, we need certain things, but, you know. That is what my time out, my, it's, it's, when I'm doing my things, yeah, okay, I want to post something that I, I hope helps people. But that time I'm out in my front yard, I like that time of the day. It's the vibe out there, the air, the sun, watching that sun go down, the birds, you'll hear parrots flying all over the place. That's, that time is for, for me. Sometimes I'm wearing these, but I'm also sometimes not listening to anything. I wear these because sometimes my neighbors walk. I was by. just going to say. They don't say we'll, we'll end on a funny note when you we'll end everything on a funny note so i'm not the one to make you late for the appointment because i want you in in person and we'll have a blast but when you first started doing that outside did the neighbors say is this guy crazy did they did they ever say anything to you or mess you know with you honestly my neighbors are so over me you can talk up no um <laughs> I'm a no, they know that I'm a normal guy. I mean, I'm, I'm very fallible. I can't even yeah. do parallel park properly. Um, Me neither. Yeah, they know I'm, I'm a... So, you know, despite what I present, you know, I cherry pick my videos and I can use... Yeah, I, I choose a time of day where I get the best lighting, but I'm a totally normal guy. So, and my neighbors really, they're not... They're, they are truly... And I'm not about, they're not impressed. 
And I like it that way. Yeah. I like that I am just Bill. Yeah, you're just Bill. Because I am, I truly am, I am. Anyone that sees me on the street, they can say hi, come up to me. I'm no, I'm just a guy. I'm as honored when people say hi. When they, when people come up to me and, and say that they've seen me on Instagram, I'm as truly as honored that they take time to do that as they might be the, to meet me. You know, um, I, I, I'm truly just no different than anybody else. And um, it doesn't matter how many followers I have or what I can do. There's so many things I'm not good at that I know that those people are. Each of everyone that follows me and sit, gives me a nice comment, I know in my heart that they've got at least a dozen things they could teach me that I'd be in awe of. So, um, yeah, that's 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 why my neighbors and and the people just I'm a normal guy. I'm just I'm just a normal guy. I, I, I I'm I'm fortunate that I have people that hopefully get some kind of value out of what I'm doing. That's what I really hope for. That they, if it just gets them to get outside, that's I win. It was worth the time, you know. They don't have to follow me. They don't have to like me. They don't have to DM me. If it just somehow gets them or some of their friends to just do something different or freshens up their boring routine so that they'll resume it, then that it was that was that's the biggest gift I can get from them is is from from what the content that I put out there, and that's what I'm hoping for. There's days I don't want to go out there any more than the next guy, but I'm thinking, hey, come on, man. There's, just do something. Just do what you feel like doing because that's what you tell your clients. And maybe some guy in Brazil will get something out of that video. And it was worth doing it. So that's that's it. That's a, that's a great way to close, right? You you got drive like Kobe Bryant. On, <clears throat> yep. Uh, can't wait to continue our conversation because I got all kinds of stuff to talk about with you. Oh, yeah. And by the time we do this again, I'll have probably a lot more – a few more stories for you so sounds great buddy i appreciate you uh i, I appreciate the opportunity uh to be on your, your oh podcast. thank you for coming on i really appreciate you coming on oh i'm honored honored thank you very much tommy thank you and i hope i didn't make you late for your appointment i think you got about two seconds to get over there <laughs> yeah yeah no we're good i'm just gonna head out but yeah we'll do it again though yep absolutely thank you so much and one more thing one more thing much aloha. Oh, yeah. My paisan.